com slash let me listen and thanks for listening okay that's a wrap thanks steve uh see you in two weeks when we review uh empire strikes back okay see you later buddy bye steve you gotta come back with me <laughs> where back to the future Go ahead, quick, get in the car. No, 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 Jason, we just recorded a new podcast. Well, bring it along. This concerns it, too. Well, wait a minute. Jason, what are you talking about? What happens to us in the future? Do we become assholes or something? Steve, both of us are already assholes. It's the podcast. Something has to be done about the podcast. We never should have reviewed a time-honored classic like Back to the Future, honestly. Now get in before the mobs find us. (laughs) Mobs? Yes, it turns out that if you are even a little critical of a beloved classic movie, people react violently. Oh. Oh no. They found us. Quick, get in the car. Uh, hey Jason, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88 miles an hour roads where we're going we don't need roads now now quick hit record because while we travel through time we're going to re-record our review my calculations are correct when this baby hits 88 miles per hour you're gonna see some serious shit Hello, everybody, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and we see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, we check our ball size again, because we're going to take one of the most beloved movies, loved by ever. I mean, there are people probably in Africa that probably have never had three full meals, but they know about this movie and they all love it, right, Steve? Oh, yes, it is one of the most treasured relics from that bejeweled decade of pop culture known as the 1980s. That's right. So what movie are we going to review? Well, if you guys listened to the last podcast before this, you already know. But, just in case you didn't, why don't you go back and listen to that one? It's fun. I can't even remember. Oh, we, we, well, okay. Skip to the end because it was Space Jam. It was Space Jam. And, <laughs> unless you want to listen to two guys cry, it's okay if you yeah. want to. I know lots of people do want to hear us cry. but <laughs> It's true. But if you didn't, and you don't want to, um, Steve, why don't you tell them what, what beloved movie we're going to review this time? We're going to review Back to the Future! You need a lozenge, Steve. Sorry. I can't <laughs> record you like this. I'm okay. I'm good. I'll be all right. It's all that pot you smoke. I'll put, yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting that rumor right here. I, I, I'll, I'll put the <laughs> lozenge in my mouth, and then I'll talk... Like middle-aged Jerry Lewis for the oh, entire. Oh, please don't! That's recording. not a lozenge. He's sucking caraway seeds out of his denture plate. <laughs> you don't recognize that action? That is him literally sucking food out from his dentures. It's gross. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, Back to the Future. Well, back to fantastic. the Fantastic. Everybody loves that movie, right, Steve? Well, I guess we'll find out if everybody loves Even it. Even us, right? <laughs> we'll see. Okay. We'll see yeah. We- Okay, so Steve, do you have any trivia that you would like to uh, share with us about Back to the Future? I bet there's none. There's very little. Um, yeah, I uh, the it, this was a very popular film. 
Uh, that's that's the that's probably the least known bit of trivia. It was number one I in th- the box office for 1985. It was, it was, and um, it, it just a, a huge box office total, which you'll get to when you go through the the credits yeah, and stuff. Yeah. But um, so successful, such such saturation for this movie in our popular culture that actually oh, yeah. this movie is is probably the main reason why most people even know what a DeLorean is. Probably. They don't know the controversy. They don't remember the original joke about it being a DeLorean. No, yeah, exactly. It's it's played for a laugh when when it's first revealed, and we don't really get that now. But yeah, the DeLorean, for those people who don't know, was it was only manufactured for two years from 1981 to 1982 and yeah. there were less than 10,000 DeLoreans ever made and they were considered kind of unusual because you know the engine was in the back instead of the front they had and gull-wing the, doors. the gullwing doors that opened up instead of opening out on the sides and it was mm-hmm. it was unpainted stainless steel body yeah. and and if and then uh the founder of the company was arrested on drug trafficking charges yeah cocaine <laughs> and the company went bankrupt and they yeah, stopped making up. DeLoreans yeah. So when this DeLorean trots out, everyone goes, ah, ha, ha, a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And if it weren't for this, because, I mean, th- th- this movie is so closely associated with that car that the time machine itself is basic- is usually just referred to as the DeLorean. Like, now, did this you know is- what the original time machine for this movie was? I did not. What what? The original time machine for this DeLorean was a refrigerator. <gasps> oh, yes. Now, now, let me roll this off you. The original ending of this movie was in order to create the amount of energy needed to get Marty back to the future. The refrigerator time machine had to be placed on a nuclear testing site in 1955. Hmm. And the explosion would rocket the refrigerator back to the future. That's... Does that sound hauntingly familiar to something else that happened within the last 10 years? So maybe, maybe frequent Robert Zemeckis collaborator and executive producer (laughs) on this film, Steven Spielberg, remembered that bit Mm -hmm. and said, you know, that's just too good not to do. (laughs) I'm going to do that. In my my misbegotten fourth Indiana Jones movie. Yup. Um, uh, yeah. Any other trivia? Yeah. Well, of course, De- uh, because uh, this movie raised the profile of the DeLorean so much, John DeLorean actually wrote Robert Zemeckis a thank you letter, thanking him Aww. for for immortalizing his 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 his, his vehicle. Yeah. Um, and uh, there are there are a couple of other little things, uh, little anachronisms in the movie because it's of course you know a time travel movie where most of yeah. it takes place in the 50s so the 50s yep. had to be recreated in the 80s and yeah. and there are there are a few things that the producers did not represent accurately what for kind instance, of nerd are you being right now are you being a history nerd or a 1955 nerd or <laughs> I, I i am being a nerd who is being uh extremely uh picky about the continuity and the anachronisms of this film okay like what like, for instance, there is a scene when Marty McFly is watching an episode of The Honeymooners in yes. supposedly November 1955, when in reality uh-huh. that episode would not air until December 1955. Gadzooks and Which gazooks. is impossible, sir. I, I hate this movie now. <laughs> As well you should. 
as well you should. There was also uh, several other anachronisms. For instance, the dinner plates used by the Baines family in that scene were not manufactured until the 1970s. Explain that, if you will. (laughs) And Um, the, the Ronald Reagan film that is playing at the theater, Cattle Queen of Montana, actually opened November 18, 1954. Wait, isn't that in the second one? Isn't that in the second movie, not the first one? It's in the first... Did you even watch this film? I I did. I didn't read the marquee. The marquee was for Cattle Queen of Montana, starring Ronald Reagan, which opened in 1954 making yeah. it very unlikely that the film would still be playing when Maybe Marty saw it, it in Maybe it was just very popular in Hill Valley. They really like Cattle Queen of Montana. Well, it is in California. Ronald Reagan was elected governor. Perhaps <laughs> there, there's see? something... There. It's not so much of a nitpick, is it, history continuity nerd? You've shattered my reality. I'm going to go get drunk. Good day, sir. It's very brave of you to uh, exhibit your real personality here on the podcast, <laughs> Okay, I'm back I'm, I'm back to my, my normal cool self now. All right, great. Can my super cool self. The- who made it please let's do it let's do All it all right let's, let's 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 shoot this horse and move on to something <laughs> better, all right it was directed by robert zemeckis what else has he made um uh, you know a little tiny film um who framed roger rabbit you know didn't no one know knew that one yeah inconsequential and also uh another movie that kind of shares a little dna with this one forrest gump yeah a movie about a Clueless white dude who inadvertently causes the majority of the history from 1950-something to 1990-something. There's only a little bit of that in this one, where white people get to take credit of other people's accomplishments, but it's in there. But Zemeckis liked it so much, he said, I'm going to make a whole movie of it. He was like, hey, you know that part where Marty invents rock and roll? (laughs) Yeah. What if he did everything else, too? That's right. Technically, it's a bootstrap paradox, but we don't want to get into that right now. What if I made a movie where white people took away everything that black people did? (laughs) Not just black people, but Elvis, everybody. Everybody. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always wanted to make a reverse Forrest Gump. Where it's Forrest Gump, but he causes all the awful things that happen <laughs> from the 1950s onwards. So, like, he's the second gunman on the grassy knoll by accident. He's like, that's a nice pop gun. Oh, God. I shot one like that in Vietnam. And he just picks it up and it goes off in his hand and it hits Kennedy in the head. <laughs> oh, no. I shot that nice young president. <laughs> he's been shot. <laughs> in the brain it got all over his wife's dress he's the one that suggests reading catcher in the ride to the guy who shoots john lennon oh he's, my god he's, so he basically just enables assassinations yeah and he terrible goes, things he just goes through history inspiring assassins uh-huh exactly he's walking through it. alabama and he's like hey do you know where that preacher is speaking well i did see someone down there at that hotel <laughs> went by the name of martin luther king <laughs> thanks stupid <laughs> he just walks yeah, yeah. past him i love it write me a 10-page treatment <laughs> Um, okay, that's one down. Let's one keep name. going, shall we? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. All right, it was produced by Bob Gale. Um, Bob Gale uh, is a writer, and he's written a lot. Um, near and dear to my heart, he wrote an episode of Kolchak the Night Stalker, and he's written a lot of comics. 
Um, he came up with this idea, I think, back in 19... Uh, okay, Zemeckis and Gale um, did a couple of movies in the late 70s that Steven Spielberg produced that didn't... that aren't... they're not good. <laughs> <laughs> it's used cars in 1941, and eventually we're oh, going to have to do yeah. 1941 on this show. Yes. Um, because that was, that is, oh, that's a pain. That's a, oh boy. Nearly ended Spielberg's career, it's, nearly it's, ended a lot of people's careers. It's a black mark in the careers of pretty much everyone involved. And effectively ended Zemeckis's and Gale's commu- uh, careers up to this point, for the most part. Um, but Gale, uh, and he worked on both of those. He was a writer, but he's worked, he worked in television and all that other stuff. So, um, yeah, thank you for Cult Check. Thank you for the comic books. He's worked on Batman. He's worked on lots of stuff. Yeah. Um, also produced by Neil Canton, who produced one movie that uh, is very near and dear to my heart, and that's Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, yeah. Uh, written by Robert Zanekas and Bob Gale. So that saves me any explanations of what else they've written. I don't care anymore, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> Your stamina for these credits are just they, know. It gets less and less every time. Starring Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly. Do I have to say who was originally cast in this role, Steve? I think everyone knows, but we're going to say it anyway. It was the kid from Mask. Yeah, it was Mask Boy. Yeah. Um, What's his name? Stoltz. Eric Eric Stoltz, the drug dealer from Pulp Fiction. Yeah, and... uh... And and assorted other things. (laughs) He was originally cast because Michael J. Fox, the original one, couldn't be on, and then because of Family Ties, because he was on a sitcom called Family Ties, and then they cast Stultz, and Stultz was like, I'm wrong for this part. And everyone else was like, you're really wrong for this part. And then finally, <laughs> they all said, okay, he's wrong. And then Michael J. Fox came back, and they went, yippee! Now right? we all get to make lots of money. Yep. Also starring Christopher Lloyd as Dr. Emmett Doc Brown, who got the part because John Lithgow said no. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine well, how could, different this movie would be. It wouldn't be. I can totally see him playing this part. He'd have to stoop I, down even more, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true, because he's pretty tall. <laughs> he's enormous. <laughs> <laughs> Leah Thompson as Lorraine Baines McFly. Crispin Glover as George McFly. The big controversy about him doesn't really occur until Back to the Future 2. Yes. Um, but he's always been known as a weirdo. Um, I don't think he's a weirdo. I think that he's artistic, and he doesn't like Hollywood a whole lot, I don't think. I would go along with that, yeah. He was raised, his parents were very artistic, and he was raised to be a certain way, and I almost always like his performances, because he's different. Yeah, And I'm really surprised at the amount of work that he's managed to get over the years. And he's also... My my only pick to ever play the Joker, and he's never going to play that part. <laughs> That's true. He would be a fantastic Joker. Yes, he would. He would be a fantastic no, Joker. No one's ever going to... Fuck you, Hollywood. You gotta put anyway. a name in there. That's a big role. <laughs> Thomas F. Wilson as Biff Tannen. Um, Thomas was turned into a comedian afterwards in which he was getting tired of people hating him because he played this part. And after watching this movie with fresh, brand new 20, 2017 eyes, I can understand what people hated him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's very clear now, isn't it? <sighs> Claudia Wells as Trophy. I'm sorry, as, as Jennifer Parker. <laughs> Mari McFly's girlfriend, who in three films... Manages to not have any plot, really. <laughs> She's just kind of there. Yeah, yeah. Even when they recast her with a more prominent actress in the next, in the sequel. Yeah. They, it's like, well, should we write something for her now? Nah. 
<laughs> yeah. Can she do something? Nope. Nah. She faints. Great. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Mark McClure as Dave McFly. Wendy Jo Sperber as Linda McFly. Now, you guys will know Mark McClure because he was who, Steve? He was Jimmy Olsen. That's right. In the Christopher Jimmy Reeve Olsen. Superman films, yes. This is right. And what about Wendy Jo Sperber? She was on some sitcom or something, wasn't she? Bosom Buddies, I think. Yeah, there you go. I think. I don't I maybe. don't know. I don't know. She's someone who was in a lot of stuff in the 80s that I can't specifically remember <laughs> at the moment. George DeCenzo as Sam Baines. Francis Lee McCain as Stella Baines. James Tolkien as I'm going to play this character forever and ever and I can never escape it. Yep, pretty much. As Mr. Strickland. You're a slacker! Yeah. J.J. Cohen as the unfortunately named <laughs> cohort of Biff, Skinhead. Oh... <laughs> Doesn't age very well, does it? Well, that's okay. Uh, then we have Casey Samazgo as 3D. And Billy Zane as Match. <laughs> that's right. That's Billy Zane back there. You can be blasé about some things, Biff, but not about Back to the Future. Now, I think um, originally um, they had cast one of the gang to be Biff when Eric Stoltz was going to be playing Marty mm. because they needed... But um, I can't remember what, how it went. Oh, when it was Michael J. Fox, he was going to be playing, originally cast. They cast one of the other guys as Biff because he was only a little bit taller than uh. Michael J. Fox. Then they brought in Eric Stoltz and he was taller than the guy they cast as Biff. So then they took the, uh, Tom Wilson and they made him Biff and they uh. relegated the other guy to not... Man, that would have sucked. You'd be like, oh, I have lines to... Oh, I have no lines to... Oh, I have lines again. Oh, no, I don't have lines. <laughs> Just tell me what I'm doing. That's right. Harry Waters Jr. as Marvin Berry. Donald Fullalove. That's his fucking name. F-U-L-L-I love. Hell yeah. Full of love. As Goldie Wilson and Lisa Freeman as Babs. Music by Alan Silvestri. You know who he is. He's done fucking everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but nothing, you know, I think he's famous for this theme. This is one of his, it would have to be, if not his most famous, then certainly. Um, Alan Silvestri is the guy, if, if uh, John Williams didn't do it and James Horner didn't do it, Alan Silvestri probably did it. He must have been so pissed off when Danny Elfman stepped in. <laughs> Elfman's getting all of my shit. Yeah, Elfman all of, all of a sudden uh, pops up and Howard Shore suddenly is all over yeah. the place and he's like, God damn it. Yeah. And now there's Michael Giacchino, asshole. God. <laughs> Cinematography by Dean Cundy, edited by Arthur Schmidt and Harry Karamitis. Production company Amblem Entertainment and Universal Pictures, distributed by Universal Pictures. It was released on July 3rd, 1985. Running time, 116 minutes. Budget, $19 million. Box office, $381.1 million. The number one movie in the United States for that year. That is a pile of cash. That's pile of cash. Pile of cash. And thank goodness they set themselves up for needless sequels. Yay. <laughs> also, I'd like to point out, guys, there's... Uh, I, did, I hadn't watched this movie in a while. Not even in 2015 when everyone was going fucking Fruit Loops yeah. over Back to the Future because this is when he travels in the future and Back to the Future... <laughs> um, I didn't rewatch it. And I rewatched it for this review, and there's something in this that I didn't notice, and maybe it's because I'm more jaded 
and cynical, but holy fuck shit balls, Steve. There's a lot of product placement in this goddamn movie. Yeah, now that there's, you mention it, there is. There's a ton. There is so much of it. McDonald's and Pepsi and JCPenney and... Guys, I'm going to give you a real quick way to be able to recognize product placement. If you can see the full name of the product or department store, and it is unobscured by anything else, that's a product placement. Yeah, because they were making sure that the whole thing was in. If a character is holding a can of soda, and you can read the entire label, (laughs) and you can see the logo... That's a product placement. During the scenes when Doc Brown is there about to go, I know that J.C. Penny paid a lot of money because they keep cutting back to the two leads with J.C. Penny just bright as life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, uh, when you see a character in a movie holding a can of soda and they have it very carefully turned so that the label isn't facing out, that tells you that the movie didn't have budget for a very big art department. No. Because they had to just take a pre-existing soda can and just turn it around. Instead of and if you ever notice that sometimes on a on a TV show that they'll be drinking a can of soda and there seems to be tape on it, yeah, that's how they fix that problem. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. You know, you never put tape on your soda when you were a kid. We did that all the time. <laughs> we didn't want to sell out to our corporate masters. That's right. Um, one of the reasons why I respect um, Quentin Tarantino when it came to cigarettes in his movies, he made up fake brands. Yeah. So he wouldn't promote any of them. Yeah. Um, and went to the trouble of making fake cartons and all this other stuff just for that for that sole reason because he didn't want to uh, give money to order or take money from Marlboro or any of the other R.J. Reynolds companies. Anyway, so if you guys haven't watched the film or are about to after our review, I don't know why you would, but uh, <laughs> keep your eyes open because Diet Pepsi, McDonald's, KFC, fuck, what else? Just there's a lot. Steve. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. DeLorean. Well, that doesn't count. They won't make anything. <laughs> All right, Steve. Come on. Let's get in the DeLorean. Let's okay. get ready to go. We're going to travel back to 1985. We're going to listen to Huey Lewis in the news when yeah. we're popular. Ho- hope you like Huey Lewis. <laughs> and then we're going to travel back to 1955. Okay. And let's commence with the reviewing of Back to the Future. Steve, take it away. Well, right away, we're transported to another time because we have just a single title card with the title of the <laughs> film, and then it fades right up, and we're in the movie. It didn't explode? No, no exploding. No. It didn't shoot in or no, anything like no that? No unnecessary 3D CGI title sequence. Oh. We, get, uh, we, we get titles over an opening scene that actually has a lot of important information to give us about the story. Yeah, it does. Number one, there's lots of clocks. Lots of Subtle. clocks. Yeah, Subtle, I, because it's... Yeah. Wait it's a just minute. about time travel, everybody. So this is lots of clocks. I sense that time may be an important theme in this film. Also, um, uh, TV. TV, yeah. yeah. And we also get the uh, the impression that the owner of the home has not been around for a while. Yeah. Be- because he has an automatic, like, Pee-wee's Playhouse mechanized <laughs> uh, dog feeding machine that opens a when, can of when dog When Pee-wee food. finally grew up, he was like, I gotta sell all this stuff. And Doc Brown went, I'll buy all of that. <laughs> I hate putting food in my dog's dog dish. I want that. God, I hate doing that. <laughs> I hate making toast. <laughs> Give me a toaster that doesn't work. I love burned toast. 
So there's toast burning that can't make it out of the toaster. What else is going yeah, on? Oh, the there's coffee that's coffee is pouring b- away. Yeah, brewing in a non-existent coffee pot. Uh, the right. dog the dog dish is overflowing because it's been the, the the machine has been heaping cans of dog food into it for days with the dog not that's there to right. eat it. Then the TV talks directly at us, and what does the TV want us to know? The TV wants to make sure that we know, in case we were interested, or perhaps it becomes important later on, that there was a theft of plutonium recently. Oh yeah, at a power mm. plant, and everybody's like. Where'd the plutonium go? I wonder right. if we'll find out. And then into the room walks who, Steve? The feet of our hero, Marty McFly. Ah, played by... Played by... Michael Jafox. Michael Jafox, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he uh, comes in, he puts the uh, the key down under the mat and walks yep. in with his skateboard and his book bag because he's in high school, you know. That's right. And we see him... Uh, and uh, Oh, and another important little bit of exposition. We see his, his skateboard roll across the floor and it stops and comes to rest against a box of plutonium that has been <gasps> hidden underneath uh, a little coffee table. What the fuck? <laughs> you think that might be the plutonium that was stolen? Is he a terrorist? <gasps> yeah, probably. Okay. He's, anyway, he's, at, so a, he's, he he's at a terrorist is, house. Yeah. yeah, he takes out an electric guitar and he plugs it into a gigantic amp and then he kills himself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. Guys, um, I did a podcast, a scientific podcast that you can still find on the, on the, uh, the website. In which we examine the science of this specific thing. <laughs> yeah. In which he plugs in this gigantic amp, turns it up to a, a billion, hits one chord, and it destroys the, the amp and shoots him across the room, which would have liquefied his internal organs and a whole <laughs> bunch of other stuff. Yeah, just think, if, if a shockwave is that strong <laughs> to throw you across the room... <sighs> yeah. And then he gets a phone call. Yeah, and it's Doc, who is the owner of this home that Marty has just destroyed. <laughs> and somehow he can hear it, even though he just experienced the loudest noise in the world, and both of his eardrums <laughs> have exploded. His eardrums are burst. And his fluid is, is dribbling down both sides of his head. <laughs> his brain has been reduced to mush in his skull. Yeah, he's not screaming into the phone like David Lynch. <laughs> what? Is no, that... I'm at the shop! <laughs> is that you, Doc? <laughs> I have trouble hearing you. <laughs> anyway, so the the person on the phone, I guess, is Doc Brown. And he's like, Ah, meet me at night. <laughs> <laughs> and don't plug into the app. It'll kill you. It'll liquefy your brain. <laughs> That's right. Bye-bye. <laughs> so Marty agrees to meet the creepy lunatic at night. Um, we, we see the plutonium again when he picks up his skateboard. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're in a music video, Steve. <laughs> yeah, cue the Huey Lewis. Because Marty's late for school, he realizes. So he's, yeah. he he gets on a skateboard, which is his only mode of transportation. And guys, and... I can't stress this enough. But Huey Lewis in the News was popular before this movie came out. There was no fucking escaping this song in 1985. It was fucking everywhere. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's all over this movie, and this was the number one movie. <laughs> I mean, yep. It's like how 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 would you possibly get away from it? <clears throat> yeah, there wasn't. There was really you. As soon as you managed to get the earworm out of your head, a car would pass by and someone was playing it. Yeah. Well, and, and was, then and then Huey Lewis would release other songs that were exactly yeah. like this. Uh-huh. Because every single Huey Lewis song sounds just like the last one. For the most part, yeah. You're like, just get away. Leave me alone. <laughs> Stop it. You look like my dad's friends. Anyway, so... <laughs> Let me listen to Invisible Touch by Genesis in peace. Oh, my God. Really? That's what you were listening to? <laughs> 
Don't judge me. I was listening to Oingo Boingo. You're listening to Invisible Touch. <laughs> so I'm a little more mainstream. So, you know, I'm a little more middle of the road. <laughs> what if Heart of Gold is my favorite Neil Young song? Who are you to say anything oh, to me about it? Heart of Gold. Hey, fellas. <laughs> it's me, Steve. <laughs> I sure do love listening to FM radio. Are you guys watching the new Star Trek? <laughs> it's really neat. You know, the helmsman is the guy from Reading Rainbow. <laughs> okay. Okay, we're going to talk way too much about what we were doing in okay. the 80s, so we need to be careful. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so so Mar- <laughs> Marty gets to high school. He gets to school. Well, first of all, we find out that Marty likes skateboarding. Yes. Really dangerous, unadvisable skateboarding. Yeah, he grabs onto the back of cars Yeah. so they can pull and him he along. Uses them, yeah, so they can pull him along. And yeah, he gets to school, and the school's kind of run down. Yeah, right? and his girlfriend meets him out front. Mm-hmm. And she says, now come with me, Marty. I'll sneak you in because you know if you get caught coming in late, this will be your fourth uh, tardy in a row. In yeah. a row, And he's like, yeah, okay. You don't want to wind up like fucking Ferris Bueller, do you? Yeah. And he's like, and he, a shiver visibly um, runs when through him. When the mob found out that he was okay, they ripped him apart. <laughs> <laughs> His head is still on a stick in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> so they sneak into the school and they are immediately caught by the yes. principal, Mr. Strickland. Is he the principal? Yes. He is. Okay. He is. He is the god. He is the lord god I, of the school. This is my domain, mm-hmm. McFly. Yeah. Now, he basically uh, violates almost every rule of being a child educator. <laughs> He's abusive. Yes. Uh, degrading. He, they touch noses at one point when he's trying to, you know... Tear down Marty. He throws his father's failures in his face. Yeah, which He's admittedly a- he he only does to foreshadow, but still well, not acceptable yeah. from an educator. There's a lot of people who are guilty of of the the crime of foreshadowing. In yeah. This movie. Oh boy, howdy! Almost everything in the beginning of this movie is foreshadowing. Uh, yeah, the the whole first act is just foreshadow, mm-hmm. foreshadow, foreshadow. Yeah. Anyway, but there's going to be an audition of bands for a thing at the school, right? Yeah. yeah. And Marty's band and, is going to be in it. Yeah. Marty's band is auditioning. The band's called the Pinheads. And um, they make the mistake of covering uh, a Huey Lewis and the News <laughs> song in front of Huey Lewis, who is one of the judges for the bands that yeah, dance. Yeah. He's undercover. And he says, what he tells them is that they're too loud, right? Yeah. But what, what he, he means, really means yeah. is you're infringing on our copyright. Yeah, you, you're you not playing my song. Fuck you. I just released this. <laughs> I'm getting the money from this. Not you. <laughs> I can't remember. Was it I Want a New Drug that stole from Ghostbusters? Or was it Ghostbusters that stole from I Want a New Drug? <laughs> I think I, it was the other way I around. Think I did Ghostbusters I, stole from I Want a New Drug. Was I Want a New Drug that early, though? Yeah, it was. Was okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Everybody steals from Huey. Yeah, everyone steals from poor old Huey. <laughs> um. So anyway, uh, school's over, and we find out that Marty and Jennifer are planning a fuck weekend. Yeah, yeah. They're gonna take. <laughs> they're gonna go up to the lake. Teenage fuck weekend where they go out to the lake and they fuck they each just other. Fuck they don't the whole say weekend. it, but that's what's basically implied that they're fifteen and they're gonna fuck. They're gonna, right? Yeah, exactly. They're gonna. They're going to. Because, uh, they're going to possibly ruin their lives. In the age of AIDS, well, that's all teenagers do is fuck each other. Yeah, but he doesn't want his parents to find out. 
Yeah, because his mom's kind of a, uh, a prude. Yeah, he he says he tells Jennifer that his parents think he's just going camping with the guys. Yeah, what guys? No, no, he doesn't he, seem to have any other friends he, other than his girlfriend. He has well, he yeah, he has his girlfriend and Doc, who is like thirty years older than him, uh, fifty years. So older I guess than it's him. just him and Doc alone again. How long have they had that relationship? We don't know. Who knows? How'd they meet? We don't know. How are they even friends? We don't know. What the f- how, Steve? Stop asking questions. <laughs> Just watch. This is this is Robert Zemeckis. Just watch the movie. God, it's a premise. Just buy the premise. Robert, calm down. Jesus That's Christ. fucking bullshit. Do you ask Look, how they got you- on the ship in Star Trek? No. If if you if you keep going on this way, you're just gonna start making CGI movies, and you're never gonna make regular ones ever again. Well, I hope I do. You're gonna live in the uncanny valley, I'm Robert. You can't gonna make a whole movie where it's nothing but creepy computer animation, and Tom <laughs> Hanks is gonna play all the characters. <laughs> you're holding a copy of Beowulf. Please tell me you're not thinking. <laughs> oh, about making you just that into wait till you see what I do with this, buddy. <laughs> Anyway, so... <laughs> if only we had um, listened to him back in the 80s. Um, so they're they're getting ready to kiss, but they get in they get interrupted by the local plot device lady. <laughs> yes, she she's raising money to uh, save the clock tower because apparently uh, there's a, a move underway in the town to replace the clock in the clock tower because... That has been broken for 30 it's, years. It's been broken for 30 years. So I guess they're in Hagerstown? Yeah, one of the things I noticed about this, and maybe you have a better perspective on it than I do, but this is a small California town, one of those little rural towns that um, is just turning into a slum. What What is going on in Hill Valley? Yeah, it's... And and you would think, I mean, replacing the, the clock would be a good thing. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Everything is covered with graffiti. Yeah, it's all everything dilapidated. Is, everything is covered in garbage. Yeah. All of the theaters are porno theaters. Nothing is good or nice. You're, you're wondering where these good and nice people, why they're continuing to live in this place that just seems to be plucked directly out of 1976 New York and kind of plopped into rural California. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, it's like uh, Stars Hollow from Gilmore Girls, only in the Upside Down. I never. <laughs> like, wow, it's... you just you, you pulled on two things right there. You didn't Way expect go. that, did you? you didn't I got to expect... make you an award. That's that's impressive. You didn't expect Gilmore Girls and Stranger <laughs> Things crossed over, did you? Yeah, but it's like that. It's like, it, oh, you can tell, like, well, it seems mm-hmm. like it used to be kind of a nice place. And they've sort of mm-hmm. let it go go to shit. But that's kind of the 80s. <laughs> that's kind of what happened anyway. to America. <laughs> He takes one of the flyers after the lady explains that the clock tower was struck on uh, by lightning on this particular date and that we were raising funds and he gives her a quarter and she gives him a flyer and then his girlfriend writes I love you and then her phone number on it because she's staying at her grandma's. It's a lot of stuff. Boy. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> he goes home and we meet Biff. Oh, Biff. There's no oh, Biff. There's no oh, Biff, Steve. No? I, will, I, will, I will completely say this. In 1985, sure, this character is acceptable. In ni- in 2017, <laughs> this character needs to fucking die at the end of this movie. That's true. And, uh, <laughs> George needs to beat him to death. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, we meet Biff because uh, well, Mar- first Marty sees that the car has been wrecked. It's being towed yeah. into the driveway when he gets there, and he's like, "Oh shit, there goes my weekend with Jennifer," because that's the car I was right. going to take. Then he goes inside, and it turns out that apparently Biff had borrowed the car and mm-hmm. wrecked it, and is now in the process of blaming the accident on George, Marty's dad. Because, because he says, the car George, had a blind spot. yeah, why didn't you tell me the car had a blind spot, McFly? Also, there's also a couple of really subtle jokes in here that are really funny. Like when he says, who's going to pay for my dry cleaning? Because when I got in that accident, <laughs> I speared, spilled beer on my coat. Yeah. Which implies that he was drinking and driving. <laughs> yes. Without flat out saying he was drinking and driving. Yes. Which is a bad, but we pick up that Biff is an asshole and we hate him. Yes. And that he is basically pressed George McFly, Marty's father, under his thumb because he's doing his work for him. And he eats food out. He takes a beer out of the refrigerator. Just eats. He just. Yeah. He, he, man. He's just the worst he's, person ever. He's, he's awful. He's just a piece he gets of shit. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> he just gets worse, Steve. Yes. Yes. <sighs> so now we meet the McFly family. Yeah. Where they're eating. Are they eating? They're eating. What are they eating? Some of Steve? them some of them are eating and George is like working on the 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 report that he is doing for Biff at the table. He's eating peanut brittle. He's eating peanut brittle out of a bowl. <laughs> <laughs> uh we know we Marty's mother is is drinking is his and and drops a sheet cake off on the table that they made for <laughs> their uncle who was supposed to get out of prison. Uncle Joey who didn't make yeah. parole again. Their their house is kind of junky. Yeah. Not it's not super nice. Um it looks like a house in the suburbs. Yeah. I mean, come on. It doesn't look terrible, but it yeah, it, it just It doesn't look but uh, but to the rich Hollywood assholes who made this movie, <laughs> it's it's a monster house yeah. <laughs> and how can anyone live in it? Could you imagine living in that house for 5 I seconds? I have brought this up before about Hollywood being out of touch with rural America and this is one of those ones where more people can identify with the the, the Marty McFly house at the beginning of the movie oh, yeah. than what happens at the end. Oh, totally. Because that's a house where people live. Yeah, totally. No one, no one sat down and designed everything. It's full of tchotchkes and knickknacks and fucking shit. Because people live there. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, that's a nightmare to rich Hollywood. <laughs> fucking can you people. imagine how did he survive? How can they have a house that didn't have a designer behind it? <laughs> you mean I have you... to have no emotional connection to anything in my home. <laughs> you mean you just moved in and put furniture wherever you needed it, and you didn't <laughs> think about how it looked as a complete piece? I... <laughs> anyway, so uh, we get even more plot points, right? Yeah, because mom decides. Well, for, we we okay. His, Marty his, really needs to pay attention, Marty, because there are key plot points in this. Marty, we see that Marty's brother Dave works at McDonald's, and his That's not a key plot and his point. sister Linda can't get a boyfriend. Because um, her mom won't let her. Because her mom won't let her, and her mom, ev- and mom even mentions how she doesn't really approve of Marty dating Jennifer because she's too forward. And then um, apparently Jennifer called recently, and mom doesn't yeah. like that because in, when she was a kid, she never called a boy or went on dates with boys, and that's just no. not done. And also that she's like, how did you meet dad? And then she says, oh, well, you see, my your grandpa hit him with a car, and then I took him in, and then I went to the uh, Victory Under the Sea dance or whatever it's called, the <laughs> dance party under the sea dance. Yeah. And then I kissed him, and I knew I was going to be with him forever. And there's a couple other things in here. She's supposed to be, like, fat. Yeah. She doesn't look that fat. No. Steve? <laughs> she's, I, again, it's like Hollywood fat. 
Okay, yeah, it's Hollywood fat. You know. Where people probably fainted when they saw her come out of the makeup room. They're like, yeah, oh, they, no. Oh, God, why are you doing this? You were so beautiful. You, you were so anorexically thin, and now this. What are you doing? <laughs> You're destroying your career. <laughs> Once people see you like this, it's over. Oh, yeah, and lots of bad old age makeup, guys. Forgot about that. Yeah. A lot of unconvincing bad old age makeup. So, uh, <laughs> there's that. Anyway, so then Marty falls asleep, gets a phone call. The the professor lunatic is like, "Hello, where are you? I can't. I need you. Where are my pills, Marty? <laughs> Marty, I have my pants off again, and I'm wandering the streets. I'm surrounded by people. I don't know who any of them are. <laughs> I think I did something bad, Marty. <laughs> so, so he's like, Marty's like, okay, I'll be right there, and he goes and meets him at the uh, at the mall in the parking Twin lot, Twin Pines Mall, Twin Pines Mall, where they had agreed to meet. Yeah, and um. He gets there, and uh, old Doc Brown shows up in a DeLorean, and he's like, uh, hey, um, <laughs> this is an experiment that I've been working on my whole life. And also, that I never a- <laughs> I never told you anything about, Marty. I never mentioned it at all, but I've spent all my life and my, my fortune working on this experiment that you knew nothing about <laughs> and didn't, know, didn't ever saw. You never saw me working on the DeLorean. At any point, I guess I just made it in like five minutes. Jesus <laughs> And, or off-site or something. And by the way, I'm a cartoon character. <laughs> Stop, man. <laughs> he gets better as the movie goes on. Yeah, he on. does. He Stop. does. He, I, I'm just, I have a lot of affection for him, but it's he's he's going a little broad in his portrayal of, of Doc Brown. Uh, Not as broad as he gets in the other movies. That's true. That's very true. Although he softens a bit in three. Um, because they actually gave him yeah. a fucking arc. <laughs> when he has to have a life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have to give him an actual life. And he's like, actually, I will think I'll be a person now. Anyway, so if you're expecting answers as to why these people hang out, or why Doc is, why Marty's doing this, or what their relationship is, or how it started, or any... Yeah, Robert, would you like to answer those questions? Yeah, nobody asks these questions for any other movie! <sighs> thanks, thanks, Robert. Anyway, <laughs> so, uh... How did Rocky get to be a boxer? Anybody? Oh, well, he wanted to get out of his whole lifestyle. Oh, shut up! Shut up! It. I guess I should... Okay, from now on, we start movies when the characters are born, so we can see everything that happens to them. Oh, like in Forrest Gump? Jesus Christ! You what? You shut your mouth! <laughs> I am an Academy Award-winning director! Finally, your neighbors are like, oh, he's lost it. Finally. <laughs> We I just heard him scream, I'm an Academy Award winning director. I think he thinks he directed Forrest Gump. That's not true, is it? <laughs> I don't think that's true. Okay, so anyway, he shows them to DeLorean. Yes. He explains everything about time. Well, not yet. First, he says, hey, we're going to do some animal testing. So he puts his dog <laughs> Einstein in the in the car and he shuts the car and then he remote controls drives the car and the car goes 88 miles an hour and then it disappears in an explosion <laughs> and it leaves some burning tire tracks behind and Marty's like oh what did I just fucking watch my god you just murdered your dog I just videotaped you killing your dog <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't turn around going, There, you see? Now, euthanasia has changed forever! <laughs> no more tearful goodbyes at the bedside, Marty. <laughs> no mess, nothing, just gone. <laughs> no funerals, nothing. You can move on with but your a, life. But about a minute later, the car comes back. Yeah. Dog gets out, dog's fine. Everything's cool, because it turns out he sent the dog one minute into the future. That's right. And, um... 
See, this is uh, the problem. Is uh, Steve? Uh huh. Yeah, buddy. Later on, this kind of this kind of destroys the premise for the second film. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because for the minute while Einstein was traveling, he wasn't there. Right. Okay. Right. But the premise of the second film is that they leave. <laughs> yes, that's right. And the future goes on as though they were still there. And you'd be amazed at how many close personal friends defend the second movie with their whole life by saying, "Well, no, they were predestined to come back, so of course they're going to be there in the future." Right. And I'm like, "That's no. That, yeah. No. That goes against the whole, you know, yeah. changing the future thing." Then, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so he says, okay, this is how I made it, and here's how... Uh, pay attention, Marty. I'm going to show you exactly how to work it. Yeah, just in I'm case. Step, <laughs> just in case. And then uh, he gets ready because he's going to travel to the future because that's where he's always wanted to go. Yeah. And then... Oh, boy. Uh-oh. So- Turns out that the, 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 the DeLorean runs on plutonium. Not realistic plutonium, but some sort of red liquid. <laughs> I don't know. It runs on Kool-Aid. Once again, if you want to hear uh, me destroy the science, me and uh, my my fellow uh, podcast scientist uh, destroy the science behind this movie, please go to episode two of Cinetific. You can find it at the website. But yeah, okay. So anyway, it runs on plutonium, and it turns out Doc Brown got Libyans to steal the plutonium because he promised to make him a bomb, and instead he gave him a bomb that was filled with p- pinball parts. <laughs> and somehow they figured it out. <laughs> And then they figured it out. Probably that was an embarrassing day for terrorism. Oh, boy. Well, the leader about of the, the Libyan terrorist army going, on this day, Jerusalem will become a mushroom cloud. And he presses the button and nothing yeah. happens. And he's like, um, now it will become a mushroom cloud. <laughs> Click. God damn it. Okay. Let's Seriously? just put a pin in this one. <laughs> I'm not sure what's going on with the bomb. How come that wasn't on the news? Earlier today, a bunch of terrorists embarrassed themselves. Yeah. They thought they had a bomb. Tune, out at a, tune in at 11 to find out what they <laughs> Here's really Here's the had. full video. We, we, we trusted this man to build us the bomb. We stole the plutonium. This man's name is Doug Brown. He promised how, you know, I grew up believing your word is your bond. And this has turned out not to be true. Right, fellas? And they're crying <laughs> yeah. in the background. That's right. We wanted to kill I told so my children people. this was going to be the day that we strike back at our aggressors. <laughs> you know what really pisses me off is we did all the work. <laughs> and this and this old mad scientist looking bastard uh-huh. takes our hard work. You know how hard it is to and steal he, Oh, plutonium? by the way, Doug Brown isn't on a watch list for this at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he he uh he shows Marty how to reload the plutonium chamber. They put on their radiation suits. Uh, and they're not actually radiation. No, suits, they're movie. Ra- they're movie radiation suits. They're paint schmucks. They're, yeah, they're yeah. not. Re- How I don't know. Anyway. I don't know what protection. I mean, the the vest that they give you to wear when you get an X ray at the doctor's office would probably <laughs> offer you more protection for radiation. It's pretty heavy. It's lead. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so they put it in, and then Doug Brown's getting ready to go, and he goes, "Uh oh, spaghettios, terrorists!" And they show up, two of them, in a Volkswagen Bob van. And- Bob and Jack, or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, we're angry because you ripped us off and it was embarrassing. And all of the other yeah. <laughs> Middle East terrorists are really laughing at us now. God damn it. We lost face with our terrorist friends. And uh, then they shoot Doc Brown. Yep. He's dead. 
He's dead. And then they try to shoot Marty. They don't. Marty jumps into the car. Where's Einstein? We don't fucking He's care. in Doc's van. <laughs> he's he's ch- chilling out. Like, oh, as long as... He's just watching everything. Oh, they killed my That's owner. That's right. Huh. Fuck you. You experiment on me, you son yeah. of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, say, hey, try traveling through time now, motherfucker. <laughs> huh? That's what you get. I, you know what most people don't know, but I'm like the ninth Einstein. The other ones appeared halfway faced through rock. Yeah, yeah. Or they're floating in space somewhere. <laughs> Let me just tell you, the time machine didn't work perfectly the first time. Okay? <laughs> I'll just leave that there. Here's inside out, Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to make an adjustment to something after that. Boy, that's not going to work. I won't tell Marty about this one. <laughs> As he says, he strangles the uh, the inside out dog to death. Marty can never know, Heine. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's kinder this way, buddy. So uh, then he gets in. He drives around. He gets chased, and then he makes the cargo 88 miles an hour, and Poof. he travels through time. He travels through time. Yeah, and he travels to the date that Doc told him he first got the idea for the time machine because that was the last date that he had entered into the control panel. That's right. So he's traveled back to uh, 1955. Yes. November 5th, 1955. Crashes into a barn. The farmer comes out, thinks he's a spaceman. Tries to murder him. Tries to murder him. He drives away, knocks over one one of the pines. Get it? Yeah. Because it was Twin Pines Mall. He knocks one down. That won't affect anything, right? Probably so, not. You know, the butterfly effect, uh, effect is probably horseshit. That's right. And then he drives away, and then, of course, the time machine car breaks down. Yes. And so he hides it, and he takes off his radiation suit, and now it's time for him to pollute the timelines, <laughs> Steve! Yay! And he goes to downtown um, Hill Valley. Yep. And it's 50-ing the 50s out of the 50s. Oh, boy. It, it's so 50s, you have no idea. Oh my God! It's just dripping with fifty garb, fifties garbage, and there's you know oh boy. people. Texaco Station Texaco and Ballad of Davy Crockett is playing. That's right, and black people know their place. And... <laughs> <laughs> All's right with the world, and everybody hates commies. That's right, everyone hates commies, and so he goes into a uh, thing, a diner. Yeah. Right? Oh, and also, also and... we we uh, the the clock tower is working because oh, yeah, the clock the tower bongs. Yeah. And uh, he goes into the thing, and he's looking for, I guess, uh, Doc Brown's address. Right. right? And um, that's when he meets his dad. Yes. George McFly. Oh, yes. His dad just happens to be eating breakfast at the at the counter right next to him. And who else is there? Well, uh, Biff shows up. Yeah, Biff shows Biff up. Shows up. Him around yeah. With his gang of reprobates. Yeah, they basically do the same scene that we saw with old Biff and old George earlier, but instead of, like, office yeah. work, it's homework. It's like, you got my homework, it's McFly? Homework. That's right. And then um, George leaves, Barty leaves, and follows him for some reason. Yeah. Rather than going directly to Doc Brown's. Yeah, he wants to see he if he... follows his dad. He wants to see if he can interfere with history and fuck up his own life. What he finds out is his father is a sex pervert. Oh. <laughs> his father is a fucking creepy sex pervert, yep, Steve. Yep, he, he, he has climbed a tree and he is looking through and is, someone's... And humping the branch of the tree. Yeah. Looking through someone's window with binoculars while a woman is getting mm-hmm. undressed. Not a woman, his mother. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes. Not a woman. Yes. The woman that George is going to marry yeah. one day is the woman where he's fucking a tree while looking at her with binoculars. Clearly, George has some growth. 
to happen as a character. Oh, is you that know, what he he, ha- he has a little a little mileage to travel yet, you know. This doesn't teach people that no matter how creepy and repulsive your sexual behavior is towards a woman, you can win that woman just as so long as they get to know you. Oh, now why would you say something like that? Okay, I'm sorry. Wait, is What does Robert think of it? Hey, Robert. <laughs> Oh, so I guess every love interest in every movie before like two fucking years ago uh-huh. is is just off the table. Well, yeah. Can you explain to me why it is that Forrest Gump's love interest uh, uh, basically served no function except to get addicted to drugs, get AIDS, and then pump out his child to die? Ah, god damn it. All right. So I guess when the hero kisses the girl, you don't like that. I, I am hesitant to bring up the character of Jessica Rabbit. <sighs> you know what? I'm going to tell the others about you. (laughs) You just know. Spielberg, (laughs) Lucas, I'm telling everybody about you, and they're going to know. How about the woman that exists only as a trophy at the end of Castaway? Oh, for fucks. (laughs) Hey, let me ask you something. Yeah? How many movies have you had produced? I don't know. How many scripts have you sold? Uh, I don't know. None. None? None. That's right. Who are you to to question me? I'm me. God damn. Damn it. <laughs> you can't touch me. Just get in line at Comic-Con, pay $20 to, for my fucking autograph. <laughs> and say, thank you, Mr. Zemeckis. You're inhabiting this character a little too comfortably. <laughs> <laughs> He's roomy. <laughs> uh, anyway. It's fun anyway. playing pissed off Robert Zemeckis. Yeah. Um, anyway. So- uh, so Marty spooks George out of the tree. Yes. No, he just falls. He falls out of the. Tree. Yeah, because that was what he was supposed it's to do. Anyway. Slick with his. It's slick with his ejaculate, oh. and he slips off the tree. <laughs> oh, George falls, falls on the ground in front of a car. Marty freaks out, pushes him out of the way. Yeah, and Marty gets and, hit by the car. And Marty gets hit by the car, and the guy gets out. And he says, um, another one of those nice subtle lines. Honey, another one of these kids jumped in front of my car again. <laughs> hmm. Which implies that he's hit lots yeah. of them. It's like and, a regular occurrence. Yeah, but anyway, he's hit Marty. And rather than take him to the hospital for an obvious concussion, they just <laughs> drag him into the house and lay him down in a bed. Yeah, because if he's going to die, I want him to die in my house. That's right. So then uh, Marty wakes up. And it's dark, and he hears a voice, and he thinks this is his mom. Yeah. And he said, I had a horrible dream where I traveled back in time. And she said, don't worry. You, you, you're you safe and sound here in 1955. And he's like, what? <laughs> and the lights come on, and it's his mom, right? Yeah, but his mom at age 17. Yeah, at age 17. Whoops. All young, and she's got a great big old lady boner for her own. <laughs> oh, boy, Steve. Yep. <laughs> hey, she don't know no better. She, she, oh, Steve. <laughs> she has the hots for Marty, who she doesn't know is actually her son. She thinks his son. name is Calvin Klein because it's written on it's his It's on underwear. his underwear, yeah. Exactly. And and she and saw his underwear because his, she saw his, underwear. his pants are off and are laying Damn. on her We're hope. not trying to imply that she was alone with him looking under the covers at his underwear and probably did not finger his jacket while he was asleep. We're not implying not that that's at all. what happened. Because that would be really gross, be, right, Steve? Yes, absolutely. Although I, I, I did want to mention that she makes sure to let us all know that, yes. that his pants are over there yeah. on her hope chest. On her hope chest. Yes. And she's been sitting in the dark with an unconscious boy in her room. Yep. That's right. Uh, okay, so um, he, they go downstairs to have dinner with her family, right? 
Yeah, yeah. The, they, he gets down, and uh, the dad is uh, hooking up the TV. His grandpa. His grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Her father. And he's like, Grandpa, Grandma. Yeah. He's only amazed really at his mom. And they, they eat dinner while watching TV, and there's a bunch of foo. And then he says, oh, uh, do you know where Doc Brown lives? And he says, oh, down by whatchamacallit street. And he says, oh, that's JFK Boulevard. And they go, who's JFK? And he should have said, you know, the senator. Yeah. He, the fairly popular senator. You, you should probably know who he, he is. Yeah, he's from one of the more po- powerful families in the United States. He's, he's <laughs> going to run for president in five years. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not a nobody. Yeah, <laughs> no, everyone kind of knows who he is. <laughs> he wrote Profiles of Courage. Uh, okay, I mean, never mind. So now he finally goes and does the thing that he should have done rather than follow his dad around to destroy the timeline, right? Yeah, he, he flees from his mother's house when she squeezes his knee under the table. That's He's right. like, okay, uh, I'm out of here. Goodbye, forever. And he runs There's to no Doc's no way you're house. convincing me that little Miss Busy Hands just kept them to herself while the unconscious boy was in her bed. There's no way, Steve. That is not in my movie! Whatever. You implied it, you pervert. God. That, oh, things are going to come out about you, Zemeckis. That was Bob Gale's bit. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, he goes to Doc Brown, and he still has his mansion, because he hasn't sold it yet, because he hasn't gone cuckoo with the time travel. <laughs> yeah, he, right? he hasn't depleted his entire fortune yet. Yeah, exactly. Right. And he shows up there, and Doc Brown's got a telepathic helmet, and there's a bunch of, just a fucking bunch of foo. Yeah. It's just a bunch of foo where he's like, ah, I'm going to read your mind. And yeah. he's like, yeah, I got it wrong. And he's like, you know what this means? And then Marty's like, I'm from the future. And he goes, no, you're not. And then he goes, yes, Sam, because I know how you came up with the idea for time travel. And he's like, oh, you're from the future. <laughs> That's, yeah, pretty much. And then... Then he says, oh, well, okay. And then they watch what the what he videotaped. Yeah. And uh, he said, Re- rewind that part. And Doc Brown says, we need 1.1 gigawatts of power. And um, he has a freak out. He runs to, because uh, he can't believe that much power. And then he starts talking to a picture of, uh, Tom- of uh, Edison. Yeah, Thomas Edison. And he shouldn't talk to Edison because he's not an inventor. He's a hack fraud thief. Yeah. Who, who, whose name shall go down in infamy? You son of a bitch! You killed you fucking fuck you! You killed an elephant yeah. for no reason. To just to show that electricity is dangerous. <laughs> yeah, you, no, to, to fucking ruin Tesla. Yeah, to show that that what was it? Direct current was direct was, current was bad. Was bad and AC alternating current, which was Edison's thing, was the better one. Yeah, yeah, so much better. You can't be killed by AC apparently. No, of course not. Fuck you, Tesla. It wasn't, it wasn't like the electric chair became a way of killing people in this country. <laughs> Oops. You know, you never know what's going to happen. That's yeah. just science. So anyway, yeah. it turns out that he's like, okay, well, we're going to figure out a way to get you back to the future. And uh-oh, it turns out the whole thing that you did with your dad is erasing you from history. Because they look at a picture and his brother is disappearing from the picture yeah right? apparently it happens in slow motion it happens slowly yeah, yeah at no point when the picture when his brother is completely out of the picture does marty not remember having a brother yeah which would have been an interesting point where he just doesn't remember ever having right one. because his brother never existed right nope. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the way it works Anyway, yeah, okay. So anyway, um, 
instead of instantaneously, which yeah. would have again destroyed the bootstrap paradox. Because uh, if he never traveled back in time to do the thing, then, then none of this would happen. Right? And, you know, I hate fucking time travel. It hurts. Anyway, it hurts. It hurts in my head. He has to do a bunch of time travel matchmaking, Steve. Yeah, because he has to. He can't go back to the future without making sure his parents get together first. That's right, and he better call Freud because there's oh, so much edible complex oh things going on right now. Oh, Steve. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So so Marty goes and he finds he finds George uh-huh. uh, at at school, and he tries to get George to to ask Lorraine, his mom, out. But it, yeah, it, they're in the cafeteria, yeah. right? But it doesn't work because he finds out that his dad writes science fiction. Yeah, science fiction but stories. But, but he's too embarrassed to show anybody right. because he's afraid they won't think it's any good. He couldn't handle rejection. And there's a nice little moment in there where he recognizes himself and his father. Right, because that's something that, that Marty said about his music. He's afraid he couldn't handle yeah. rejection. And that's yeah. right. And then we we look over and we see that Biff is um, a sex predator. Yes, he is. He is sexually assaulting Lorraine in the cafeteria in, in, in front of everybody. In front of everyone in in the cafeteria. Yeah. Yep. And um, then when someone tells him to stop, he turns into a violent sex predator. Yeah. Until Strickland shows up, and then he's like, "I'm going to get you yeah. later." Um, and then he keeps pursuing his dad, and his dad's like, "Stop following me. There's no one on Earth that can change my mind." And so, what does Marty do? He goes back and gets the radiation suit that he brought with him from the future, and he puts it on, and he gets his yep. Walkman that he also brought with him from the future, and he puts in yep. a Van Halen tape, and he sneaks into George's bedroom at night. That's right. And puts the headphones on him and blasts the music at really high volume, and yeah. and George wakes up and he's like, "What's going on?" and and Marty mm-hmm. Marty says, "I'm Darth Vader from Planet Vulcan." Yeah. <laughs> and then we cut after that because that's the punchline. But then the next because that's as far as you want really want to go with that bit. Yeah, because you don't you don't want to see the rest of their conversation. <laughs> Because it's funnier when he comes up and he says, Darth Vader from the Planet Vulcan said that I have to ask Lorraine out to the dance or he's going to melt, gonna my, melt brain. my brain. Yeah. Is a funny line and you just go with it. Yeah. It's well written. Yeah. I'm not going to take that away from No, him. of course not. Um, so now. I'm going to take away other things. <laughs> I'll take away everything else that it has <laughs> until it begs right. me to die. Um, so uh, then they go to the diner where Lorraine is. Yeah. To ask her out. Yeah. Biff shows up to wreck everything. They chase him outside. Marty invents the skateboard. Yep. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. By taking a kid's pushwheel cart and ripping it apart. <laughs> ripping the top the of it off. Part. And then uh, skateboarding around, and then they try to, uh, they attempt manslaughter. They try to run someone over with their fucking car. And uh, then uh, he does a great stunt where he runs over the car, and then they, they hit a, a thing of manure, and it dumps into the car. Appropriate punishment for people who are trying to murder someone, right, Steve? Yeah, just kind of a comic pratfall. <laughs> That'll show him. That's right. Wah, wah. (laughs) All that Biff. He sure got his comeuppance, didn't he, folks? That's right. But now we got to cut back to uh, Doc Brown's place where he outlines the whole thing that happens at the end. Yeah, because they figured out, because they know that the lightning's going to strike the clock tower, because that's why the clock doesn't work anymore. And because of the flyer Marty had. Yeah. They know exactly uh, they when know it's going to exactly happen. exactly when it's going to happen. So Doc's like, well, you know, if we could harness the power of that lightning, then that would be enough electricity to power the time circuits to send you back to the yeah. future. So 
He runs down this whole scenario where Marty's going to start driving toward a wire that Doc has, you know, stretched across the street at exactly the right moment so that uh, a hook attached to the car will hit the wire at exactly the same moment as the lightning strikes. So the electricity will go into the car and he'll go back to the future. What could possibly go wrong? Every single thing. That's right. Anyway, (laughs) he's got, so he's going to concentrate on the science stuff. He, Marty's got to get his parents back together or he's never going to exist. Right? Yeah. So, and speak of the devil, his mom even yeah, shows, mom up. shows up. And she's like, um, I was wondering if you would ask me to the dance. Yeah. And he goes, okay. And now he comes up with this great plan. Ready? Oh, He's boy. He's going to simulate date rape on Lorraine and then allow George to show up and white knight Marty back into existence. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. He's going to sexually assault his own mother. George will show up. Oh, by the way, he's assuming that she won't be into it. George is going to show up, say, hey, unhand her, you fiend. Pretend to punch him, (laughs) and then she's going to go to the dance with George, right? Yeah, it's just that easy. That's the plan. Anybody have a problem with that? (laughs) (laughs) It's a little wrong in every way. Yeah, it is. It just makes everything (laughs) feel dirty and gross. Yeah, you know, it's a little uh, bit creepy. Oh, anyway, uh, Doc Brown has been watching the videotape again, and he got, has gotten to the part right before the, the terrorists show up. And he's hearing the whole, run, they found me, Marty, run, run. And Marty's like, hey, oh, by the way, uh, you you get shot. And he's like, don't tell me, I don't want to know. They'll pollute the timeline. Yeah. Haven't you learned anything? God damn it. So on the night that they're going to do it, Marty sits down and he writes a letter that says, like, Doc Brown, bad things, I love you, yeah. Marty. And he puts it in an envelope and says, don't open until 1985, right? Yeah, and he, and he, and he hides it in his coat Sorry. pocket. Yeah. And then uh, uh, outside the dance, mm-hmm. Marty and Lorraine and yucky, icky stuff. <laughs> yeah, and he also, he, he, he learns that his, his mom drinks yep. and smokes. Yep, and kisses with tongue. Oh, yeah, because it turns out she is into yeah, it. Yeah, boy. And Marty's the one who is like, oh, God, this was a this terrible, terrible idea. terrible, terrible, terrible idea, wasn't it, Marty? <laughs> why Why did I come up with this awful plan? But it's okay, because it gets worse. Ready? Oh, boy. Guess yeah. who shows up, Steve? Yeah, the door to the car opens, and Marty is relieved because he thinks that it's George come to pull him out as planned, but it's actually Biff. Oh, boy. And what's Biff going to do? Save Lorraine and take her to the dance? Probably not. What does he do instead? Well, Marty is dragged away by Biff's buddies, and then Biff gets in the car and starts trying to rape her. Oh, isn't that what nice? What a great family movie this is. This, this, this sci-fi adventure comedy. Yay! Oh boy, I hope nothing really happens to Biff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they take him away and they find this car with an open trunk. They throw him in there and they close the thing. And a guy gets out of the car and he says, What are you doing in my car? And the white kids say to this... Um, black gentleman, shut up, spook! <laughs> yeah, because racial slurs. Oh boy, we're That's just getting punched needed. left and right, dude. <laughs> oh, I. So the fifties actually sucked. Okay, I gotcha. <laughs> and then you made it seem like it was nice at first. Yeah, they said, shut up and mind your own business. And then five more guys get out of the car. They're all smoking pot. <laughs> yes. 
And the uh, Biff's buddies run away saying, we don't want to mess with no reefer addicts. Uh-huh. Yay. Thanks, thanks, movie. Yeah, racial sensitivity. The other black character was a janitor. Doesn't matter that he runs for mayor later. And apparently he's a mayor that's so awful that Hill Valley has turned into a slum. <laughs> yes, he's not a very good no, mayor. No, apparently not. <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> so then they, they're like, we'll get you out of the trunk. And he's like, well, the keys are in here with me. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, <laughs> wah, wah, wah. back at the rape scene. Yeah, I got to say that about <laughs> this movie. Hey, guys, Yay. guess what? <laughs> this is where the whole movie starts to become real problematic. <laughs> yeah. I hate using that word, but it fits. Yeah. So, so yeah. George shows mm-hmm. up. Think, thinking that Marty is the one in the car, mm-hmm. seeing Lorraine struggling with someone. Yeah. So he thinks, okay, here we go. Time to execute the plan. He opens the door. He says his line. And, and, it's, and Biff. it's Biff. And Lorraine says, help me. Her yes. skirt is up. Yes. And she sounds like she's in a lot of trouble. Uh-huh. And George does what, Steve? Well, uh, he starts, he, 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 he falters for a second, and then he stops and Biff Biff says basically get lost. And George's and George, spine grew three sizes that day. Exactly. George <laughs> he he says nope. I have to do this. Yeah. This is wrong. And he says no, Biff. You leave her alone. That's right. And then Biff gets out, grabs his arm, puts it behind his thing. She's screaming. He's yeah. in pain. And she's like, Biff, you're going to break his arm. And she gets up to stop him. He pushes her down on the ground, which nullifies yeah. all of her power. <laughs> <laughs> yes. She says, I'm just going to stay here. But seeing her thrown to the ground inspires George to clench his fist into a ball and hit Biff so hard that he spins around twice before hitting the car and being knocked unconscious. Yep. And then Lorraine gets a tire iron out and beats Biff to nope. death in the parking that didn't lot. Happen. <laughs> stabs his brain through his no forehead. No one calls the police. No one does anything. No. 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 Biff just is allowed to wake up on his own and just go back to his life, apparently. Yeah. Having learned a life lesson that influences him all the way into the 1980s that we find out later, right, Steve? Yeah, sure. Because that's yeah. what he deserved was one single punch for sexual yep. assault, attempted rape, and attempted murder. He got punched, and that learned him, see? Yeah, uh-huh. That learned him real good. In fact, this is, attempted rape is remembered fondly by the two main characters at the end of the film. Yeah, yeah, and well, we'll we'll talk about it when we get there. But Do yeah, we? Are we creepier gonna? If you, <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe we'll just we'll, let's just leapfrog this whole ugly business. Anyway, so he lifts her up <laughs> off the ground. She's now in love with him, I guess, and they go into the dance. Right? Yep. Marty gets out of the trunk. The guy who's opening the trunk cuts his hand. Now he can't play the guitar. Marty's gonna play the guitar. Go in there because the pictures the, the, now is his sister's all gone. And now it's he's starting to disappear. He gets in there. Yeah. He plays uh, a song while his while his future parents dance. And then it turns out that Hill Valley High School is just filled with nothing but sexual, creepy sex assaulters <laughs> because someone pushes George <laughs> out of the way and starts forcibly dancing with her. And then yeah, he and then oh Marty's st- oh he's he's starting to disappear right there yeah and then uh, George reasserts himself pushes the guy out of the way and kisses Lorraine there and that and then all of a sudden Marty's back and he's playing yeah because now that's the one that sticks that's the one that sticks he, he exists that's the good one right there his, his brother and sister are back in the picture and um, then they're like hey let's play something else 
And he goes, okay, I'm going to play this one. This this is an oldie, but I mean, it's oldie where I come... It's, I'm stealing from Chuck Berry, who is a rock and roll genius, and also a creepy sex pervert, but uh, he's a rock and roll genius. <laughs> <laughs> he's right at home in this movie. Yeah, he is. Um, <laughs> and, um, guys, look it up. I, I don't want to talk about it. It's really gross, what Chuck Berry yeah, does yeah. In, his, in his free time. Yeah, it's not good at all. It's not. It's not good at all. But he all. doesn't deserve to have a white, uh, a little teenage honky travel back in time and steal his brand. <laughs> yes, and invent his That's music. That's right. Yes. But anyway, so they start playing Johnny Be Good, right? The guy who's injured gets on the phone and says, Hey, Chuck, it's your cousin Marvin. You, there's the new song. There's what you do it. You know this quote by heart. You did it before on one of the previous podcasts. It's your, it's your cousin hey, Marvin. Chuck. Marvin Barry, <laughs> you know that new sound you're looking for? Well, listen to this. And then, you yeah. know, and he plays the song that Chuck Berry apparently remembers note for note right. and then records himself. It's another bootstrap paradox, but okay. Um, then he goes a little overboard. Um, and then people are like, Gah. and then he yeah. says goodbye. What are you doing with that guitar? Yeah, it also turns out that Marty has a remarkably different singing voice when he's singing. Don't you be good? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. His voice sounds like it's traveled, like he's drank a lot of whiskey and smoked a lot of cigarettes. Got a great rock and roll voice. And it's weird how it's just as loud, no matter how close he is to the microphone. It's weird how, despite the fact that uh, Michael J. Fox is uh, known for the breaks in his speech, like a teenager, that disappears when he's singing. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, he says goodbye to his mommy and daddy. Who immediately blank their memory of this person out of their lives? <laughs> they complete. Yeah. So when their when their their teenage son grows up into that exact person By, with the same fucking name, <laughs> it's not weird at no, all. No, not at all. They in fact never mention him when they recollect about how they got together. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they never go. Oh, remember that kid, that weird guy who hung around? Oh, I had such a crush on him. Nope, gone forever, gone. Anyway, so he goes back, he meets Doc Brown, they get the car out, they're getting the plan together, and Doc Brown reaches into his coat pocket, and what does he find? Oh, he finds the letter that Marty wrote warning him about the Libyans, and he's like, what the fuck, I told you not to give me information about the future, I'm gonna tear up this letter. In the wind. In the wind. Which will become important later, because he does something that's fucking impossible. (laughs) And Marty says, okay, well, since you tore up the letter, I'll just tell you. But before he could tell him anything, the wind blows and a tree branch falls right over the wire that they had leading from the top of the clock down to the street. And a plug gets unplugged. And now they have to rush to plug everything back in before the the lightning strikes. Doc Brown has to climb up to the clock tower to plug the thing back in. And Marty has to go up to get to a certain point so that he can be traveling at 88 miles an hour. Right. Something that he did in the parking lot of the mall, but now the only way he can do it now is by driving 19 miles away. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> takes him a long time to get yeah, there. Yeah, it does. Anyway, uh, the alarm goes off for him to go, and then the car won't start, and then the car does start, and then Doug Brown nearly dies 15 times plugging this wire back in, and then the car's coming, <laughs> and he plugs it in. But then it's unplugged down at the base, so then he has to take he rides the wire down to the base, and the car's coming, and he plugs the plug in just as the lightning strikes, and it kills Doc Brown because we <laughs> we see electricity go through his body. It goes straight through his body. Yes, one point one. That's survivable, right, Steve? <laughs> 
Sure. And not only is it survivable, he seems completely fine. He doesn't even seem scorched or, or hurt or, or anything. He has all of his memories intact, everything. Yeah, yeah. So the, the DeLorean disappears, he travels. Doc Brown is, like, happy, right? Yeah, because his machine worked and Marty's been sent home. To night, the, the trash pile of Hill Valley in 1985, right? Yeah, yeah. And the town itself. Good old 1985. Yeah, and it's gar- so filled with garbage and porno shops and homeless people, right? Homeless people that Marty knows by name, apparently. Yeah. And then he immediately tries to drive the car to where... Doc Brown is in 1985, but then it, it can't start because it's out plutonium or something. I can't remember. Yeah, it's just a very unreliable so car. So he's got to run. He runs up there. He sees Doc Brown get shot again. He sees himself get into the time machine and travel back in time, right? Yeah. Runs up. Oh, no. Doc Brown's dead. Or is he? <gasps> it turns out he's not. How? He, ri- he wakes up. He ripped up that letter, Steve. How does he know about all this? Well... He he, it, well, he first he opens up his jacket or his his radiation suit and he's wearing a bulletproof mm-hmm. vest and Marty's like what the fuck how did you know and he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the letter that he had taped back together oh, that he managed to find when he threw the pieces in a high wind and a and a storm exactly a storm. okay um, Steve okay, so I, 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 there's, a, yes. there's something I I need to ask you about sure 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 the events in the parking lot are as follows. First, he tests it with Einstein, and it makes an exploding noise and sets fire to the pavement, disappears. It then makes another exploding noise and comes back into the parking lot. Mm-hmm. Then, terrorists show up, start <laughs> shooting a machine gun all over the place, start chasing the DeLorean around, and now they've... Do they have a missile launcher? Like an RPG? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So now they have an RPG and a machine gun. They're chasing the DeLorean around. Then he travels in to the future, another exploding sound from the DeLorean, and the van hits a photo booth and explodes. Right? Yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Does Hill Valley not have any cops? Like, none Apparent- at well, all appar- whatsoever? <laughs> the The town is obviously fallen on hard times. I guess so if that's they had normal. To, <laughs> maybe, maybe they had to let the police force not go. Not only do the downsize. cops never show up, because they both just go home. He's like, oh, well, it's yeah. leave. Oh, whatever. I don't think we need to stay here for any reason. Nobody's coming to question us. It's not even on the fucking news the next day. Uh, The news bulletin. Two two Libyan terrorists. Their burn (laughs) corpse were found inside of a van at the Lone Pine Mall. Because it's Lone Pine now instead of Twin Pine Mall. Yeah, because he he ran the one pine over. Yeah, after a series of explosions and gunshots that no one witnessed. (laughs) How do we even know about this? Also, lost dog. Answers to Einstein. <laughs> Wait, does Einstein travel with him when he goes to the future? I don't know. I don't. I don't think Einstein's in the car. Is he? Because he drops off. He drops Marty off at the hat the house. Yeah. He's going off to go to the future, and he goes immediately right. to the future. Right? Maybe that. Maybe they stop by Doc's house on the way over to drop Einstein I off. Do, I don't know. They, they don't care. It's Einstein and all the other Einsteins that came back wrong. They're just going to form their own <laughs> League of Einsteins. There's the one that was turned inside out that's still alive somehow. The hyper-intelligent Einstein that came back whose brain is bigger <laughs> than its body. <laughs> Dead-Eye Armstrong. <laughs> Doesn't bark anymore. Just stares at me, Marty. Just stares. 
<laughs> that is one creepy dog, Marty. One day he was staring at me, and a, and a rabbit exploded behind me. <laughs> anyway, so he drops uh, Marty off. Marty goes into his room and he falls asleep, right? Yeah. Everything's back to normal, right? Or so we think. He wakes up the next morning. He thinks it was all a dream. Yeah. Except the house is all decorated now. Yeah. It's all boring and beige and gross and awful. Yeah. He's got like a leather couch his, and yeah. Um, his brother is there for some reason? Why? Yeah. Why is I his, guess he Why is he there? Well, if he works he, in an office and wears a suit now? He he has a good job, but he still lives at home because rent is Maybe. such a bear. In Hill I mean, Valley, rent yeah. Is so high. <laughs> Yeah, in Hill Valley. Uh, he lived. Well, he lives outside of town. Because I mean, what you would you want to live in Hill Valley? Come on. <laughs> well, here's the other thing. Okay, so they're still living in the same fucking ranch house. But it's much more. No, it's uh, not. It looks exactly the same on the decorated. outside. They're living in the same ranch house. His sister's got dates that they can't keep track of, yeah. and she's a designer shop owner something successful whatever it is yeah um and his parents walk in and they're happy and thin and i guess normal yeah they're they're characterless they have no uh, none of the charm that they had at the beginning of the movie (laughs) (laughs) Uh, despite the fact that he was a nerd and he was put upon i really like george before the character transformation to bland boring pile of mayonnaise that he is later on <laughs> but we also see that he has become a successful author no that's his first book well an author he's that's they're like oh your first book it's like it took you 30 years to publish your book what have you been doing all this time he was writing that book did you see how thick that what has he been doing was? for a living steve <laughs> <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Something, I don't some, know. Some, so, something, something yuppie-ish. He's some yuppie scumbag. Oh, and now we get to see the comeuppance for the uh, attempted <gasps> murderer, attempted rapist, and you know what? Biff went at it like he knew what he was doing, so I, I think actually he was probably yeah. a rapist. He had successfully done these things before, yeah, certainly. But yeah. now he's got his comeuppance because he's doing what, Steve? Uh, he's waxing He's George's an owner of a business. Car. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he owns his own business, and he's outside waxing George's car. And he's been humbled is, a little bit. Yeah, because now he's under George's thumb yeah. instead of the other way around. And he actually kind of seems friendly with the whole family? Yeah, he's been neutered, basically. I guess. He's been neutered, and, and for some reason they decided to keep him around. The guy who tried to kill one of them and rape the other. Yep, they said, let's keep old Biff around. Let's give old Biff a yeah, job. I'll let him just, wax my car. He's a neuter little puppy, right? Yeah. He's harmless. That's when we find what's out. He, what's, yeah. They're like, oh, it's that he, Biff. And they're like, but if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't be together. Yeah, Mom and Dad, how'd that work? Oh, well, you see, Biff um, tried to rape me at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. <laughs> <laughs> then he threatened your father's life. And uh, your father hit him and he fell down. And that man is outside right now. <laughs> He's, he has a key to our that, house, That man Mom. just walked into our front door delivering a package? That that Biff? <laughs> oh, people change, Marty. <laughs> Once he got all of that sexual violence out of his system, he was just a pussy. That's right. Anyway, so um, 
they're like, oh, well, I hope you and your girlfriend have fun at the lake. And he's like, I can't because the car got smashed up. And they're like, what? And they go out there, and that's when we see Biff, and he's polishing right. their BMW. <sighs> and then <laughs> the book comes. They all look at the book. And Dad's like, you can put your mind to anything if you like it. And <laughs> and then they go, and then Biff says, your truck's all polished. And he's like, what truck? And we forgot to mention this before, but for whatever reason, Marty really wants that black uh, wants a black 4 by 4 truck. Yeah. For whatever reason. He just he just digs that truck. Yeah, he likes that truck. And lo and behold, he goes outside. And what's in the carport, Steve? Or in the garage? It's that it's that truck. Yep. And he's like, "It's my truck. It's my truck from the Fall Guy. Oh, I love did the I Fall fix guy. everything? I made everything better. And now my life is not at all like I remember it. That's right. I don't even know who these people are. <laughs> all of my memories didn't happen. Last time I saw my mom, the one that I loved, she was fat and alcoholic. I don't know who this one is. Who are these people? <laughs> Where's my mommy? Jennifer should have showed up and he should have started screaming. Who are you? Are you the same? <laughs> what do we do for our first anniversary? Thrill kill. We thrill kill, Marty. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get in the truck and play hobo baseball. <laughs> oh my god! What have I become? <laughs> no, it's nothing like that. He doesn't have an existential no. crisis. He got everything that he wanted. Fine. He changed his parents. He changed his siblings. He lives in a nice house. He got his car, and he gets his his girlfriend trophy at the end yep who's like we're gonna great. fuck at the lake and but before they can go and fuck at the lake what happens steve oh there's a flash and a crash and the delorean appears in the driveway knocks over garbage cans or something knocks over some garbage cans there the door pops up and doc brown emerges Dre- more cartoonish than <laughs> dressed ever dressed like people thought people would dress in 2015 yeah. Oh, isn't that sweet? Isn't that quaint? Yeah, it's yeah. so funny. Like silver sunglasses and a long red coat. And, and lots of shiny fabrics. Yeah. And he's got a Mr. Fusion on the back of the DeLorean because, yeah, yeah. We, we didn't... We, we actually concentrated on things in the future that would benefit mankind, like free energy, and not fucking phones that you can access the internet with! <laughs> It's another one of those alternate realities. <laughs> That's right. Things. It's one of the 2015 where no one has a cell phone, but everyone has free energy and flying cars. <laughs> what a hellhole. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God that didn't come to be. They have instant hydrogenated pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do have to wear two neckties, though. Whatever. So that's. Fuck the you know, future. Fuck the future. Who wants to make that sacrifice? Anyway, he shows up and he's like, we gotta go back to the future because of your kids, Marty. And he goes, but Doc, if I get in the car with you and go to the future, that means we're not there to have the kids. So when we get there, we won't be there and the kids won't exist. Shut up, Marty. Just get in the car. (laughs) Hey, Robert, did you not see that as being a problem? Especially when you decided to direct a a sequel to this movie? 
when you if you saw the size of the check that they sent me to make that sequel, <laughs> you would have done it too. Okay, that's all I'm saying. All right, fine. You can't argue. look. It was predestination. Okay, <laughs> he was always going to come back uh-huh. to 1985 to live out his life through to 2015. So <laughs> that's why he was still there. Whatever. You little know it all. Is that what you want to hear? <laughs> do you want every? You want every little question answered? I do. You want me to tell you exactly how a lightsaber works? You didn't work on the Star Wars movies. But that's the same bullshit. <laughs> here, here I, here's what I want to uh, You answer this question. Hey, yeah, Robert, what? where'd Toontown come from? Well, it's just <laughs> there. It's where cartoons are from. Have you ever... Has it where, always where, existed there? Yes, sure. <laughs> fuck. Where, it, where the, the same place the Wizard of Oz comes from. The... the <laughs> The same, it's where it's Metropolis and Gotham City. And where do they come from? Do you ask these questions? Well, they have backstories. I, I believe ah, that it's in Gotham Jesus. by Gaslight that we learned about the founding of Gotham City. Oh, fuck. So now I got to go back <laughs> and, and write the entire history of Toontown. Well, it would help. And explain. I got to put liner notes in my fucking time travel I mean, comedy. Did the so first guy explain. who drew a cartoon, did the, the drawing leap off the page and give him a heart attack? And they just set up shop in some unused valley outside of Hollywood? Witches. Okay, it was <laughs> witches. Witches gave life to the first cartoons. There, All does right. that explain it? That's fine. Is it a better movie now? Yeah, sure. It's still beloved. I don't know why you're carrying around so much anger. Both of those movies are I beloved. Just, you know, you just, you can't every, everywhere I go. <laughs> what about this? What about that? <laughs> hey, uh, Bob. How could Denzel Washington fly a plane like that? How come Forrest Gump's kid didn't have AIDS? Oh, for fuck. Would that have made it a better movie? Is that the ending you wanted, Forrest Gump and his dying AIDS baby? Is that the movie you really wanted to see? <laughs> Boy, I would be, I would be counting the Oscars from that gem. <laughs> God, I got it. Out. Uh, uh, <laughs> Castaway ends with Tom Hanks starving to death alone on an island. That's that's probably the ending I should have gone with. You're right. That would have been more realistic. It should have been it should have been more cinema verite. He just he can't figure out how to make fire. He can't catch fish and he just dies. Merry Christmas everybody. I'm sorry I brought it up. It's all right. <laughs> you would have thought all the Oscars and money would have mellowed you the fuck out. <laughs> you would have thought. You would have thought. <sighs> Man, I'm lucky I didn't bring up 1941. <laughs> oh, you mother... <sighs> anyway, uh, so they get in the DeLorean. Yeah. And uh, the DeLorean rises up into the air because it can fly now. Oh, sure, because it was fixed in the future, yeah, you see. Yeah, and then it wasn't, because it breaks down even more than the next uh, movie. you know, as far as we know. And it drives directly at the audience, and they go back to the future. And the end. The end. We hear Power of Love for the 19th time. <laughs> That's right. And the movie's over. You get to hear it this time, though, without any pesky movie distracting you. You just get to listen to the music now. Yeah. Okay, so Steve, uh-huh. <laughs> what yeah, is man. what is your opinion of this classic time travel sci-fi romantic comedy date rape film? <laughs> <laughs> Back to the future. 
It's everyone's favorite sci-fi incest comedy. <laughs> um, well, I'm I'm glad that we acknowledged the many problems with it in our review and because I don't want to shy away from those or pretend that they don't exist yeah. because you know, there are problems and a lot of it is stuff that like, maybe you didn't think about at the time, but then you watch it and you're like, actually, you know, the, the Biff and Lorraine stuff in the car at the end is pretty heavy. And that's, yeah. you know, it really kind of casts a cloud over the movie. Um, makes it really hard overall, to watch with grandma. Oh yeah. 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 And just seems and you know seems a little out of place given how how adroit most of the rest of the movie yeah. is. Um, but just in general, I I think this is a great movie. I I like like you. I had not watched this for a while before I watched it for this. It had been a few years, um, and every time I watch this movie, I always forget how much I like it. Yep. Um, I I really really like this movie, and what I like about it is. Um, the total problems of the uh, the date rape scene with Biff and Lorraine aside, yeah. um, which really stick out like a sore thumb. Other than that, the the movie is so good at balancing tone and and uh, with uh, getting across a very complicated premise and plot in a way that is easy to understand. Mm-hmm. When I watched the movie this time, I really appreciate it. It's funny that we've, we've been making fun of him this whole time, but I really appreciate the job that Robert Zemeckis did as a director here. Yeah. Because what I, what I noticed this time was, um, and I've always kind of thought that it was a well-directed film, but what I really noticed this time was Zemeckis directs with an eye for clarity. Mm-hmm. He directs so that the audience will, will be able to know what's going on. And there's and some of it leads him to uh, formulate shots in ways that are not naturalistic at all. No. Like he has characters standing in ways that people never would stand. Yeah. They're obviously blocked in a very particular way um, that isn't natural. But he does it so that you can you you get information that you need to get without having to have a character say that out loud or throw it right in your face. Yeah. Like like the scene. There's a really minor example of this, but it, there's things like this all through the movie where when Marty is slipping the letter that he wrote to Doc about the future uh, into Doc's coat. Mm -hmm. And Doc is in the background of the shot doing something and then Marty kind of slides in from the side in the foreground facing the camera and he has the letter holding it against his chest. Mm -hmm. So we can see the letter. Yeah. And it's not natural at all. No. Like, if you were doing that in real life, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't do anything like that. But, Zemeckis stages it that way, so okay, we get exi- we know exactly what's happening. Yeah, it orients us immediately, and he directs like that all through the movie. He directs for clarity, and that helps us to to grasp for the most part what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's able to do that, and he's able to breeze through. You know, Doc explaining how the time machine works at the beginning, and he just he just finesses his way over all of these really complicated and preposterous subjects. Yeah, you know, there's Doc sitting in a car saying, okay, Marty, come over here. Let me show you how the time-traveling car works. Yeah. And and he just does it. He may as well have just, just said, come here, audience. Let me show you how the time-traveling car works. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, okay, now we get it. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is the movie. This is what the movie's about. It's a car that travels through time. You're either going to accept it or you're not. Hopefully you've accepted it. So now here's what you need to know about it cuz this is important stuff for the plot. Yeah. You know. So now you so that when Marty, you know, shifts the car into gear and that particular date pops up on the display, mm-hmm. you know what that is, you know why it's important. 
we mentioned that the the first act is basically just set up, set up, set up, set up. A lot of foreshadowing, a lot of exposition that we need for later on. But the funny thing is, and it becomes incredibly obvious after you've watched the movie a couple of times. And if you're watching it with a critical eye, you start to notice like, well, gee, I wonder why she's saying that. That's probably going to come back later. Mm -hmm. But, But when I just watch the movie as a viewer and I, I allow it to just entertain me. Um, the plot holes and the machinations and contrivances of the screenplay don't really jump out at me. Mm. It, it happens in the beginning when you have all of the exposition, and it happens at the end when all of a sudden it's like every possible contrivance that could happen to get in the way of Marty and Doc pulling off their plan right. to get the lightning to strike the car at the, exact, at the exact right moment. All of a sudden, everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong, and the thing comes unplugged, and the car won't start, and it's like one contrivance after another. But they're usually played for laughs, and the movie is able to sort of glide past them and keep some tension running. So you don't, at least when I watch it, I don't stop and think, oh, come on, not another fucking hiccup. You know, it, <laughs> it feels more like, okay, you're, you're into it. You're interested in what's going to happen. The movie is pulling you along. Um, another example, the, the, the example that I often cite to people for movies like this that are, if you think about them, are just riddled with plot holes, mm-hmm. um, but they don't really come up when you're watching it is the movie The Fugitive, which is just, the plot for that is so full of holes if you think about it. But when I watch it, I don't think about Mm -hmm. it. And Back to the Future is it maybe an even better example of that, where when we stop and we talk about it like we've been doing, you can point out all the inconsistencies and all the weirdness and all the things that don't make sense. But when I'm watching the movie, when it's playing in front of me, I'm not worried about that Mm -hmm. i might i might notice something but i'm not really overly concerned with it it's pulling me along because it's it's very entertaining it's really really well written uh as a comedy there are some really funny bits that just hit wonderfully Mm -hmm. um the the performances are terrific think about the fact that michael j fox and christopher lloyd really don't have all that much screen time together here they only have a couple of major scenes together. Yep. Um, oh, and wait, yet... just a second. It's time for your town to burn down every Sunday because oh, this yeah, happens wait, so many... <laughs> they called the cops because of the Zemeckis impression. People <laughs> They're like, are someone's yelling. I think somebody's being killed over there. <laughs> he's, he's having some kind of an episode. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah, so the performances between the reason why we we buy that relationship between Marty and Doc, the reason why we accept that they're that they care about each other, the reason why Marty's scenes when he realizes that you know Doc dies in the future and he can he can save him by warning the younger version of Doc. And there's a sense of 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 emotional weight and urgency in Marty's actions is all down to the actors because they have so little time together on screen mm-hmm. and Michael J Fox and Christopher Lloyd are will are able to conjure this relationship that makes it seem like they really do like each other and care about each other and are important to each other yeah um, that th- isn't necessarily there in the screenplay because they're not there. They're not together all that often. They really have to sell that as actors. Yeah. Um, Michael J. Fox does a, a terrific job uh, getting laughs out of out of moments that aren't necessarily even funny, uh, or that or that could easily have not been funny in the hands of another actor. Right. Like this. Uh, the, I love the shot when he he pulls the suction cup off his forehead after Doc is trying to read his mind, mm-hmm. and he looks at Doc. 
and he's like you know he pulls it off and it makes the popping sound and leaves a little circle on his forehead and but he doesn't break concentration he's looking at doc very intensely off camera and he's like i came here in a time machine that you invented and it's just, it's such a goofy scene mm-hmm. and it lands and hits and is so funny to me because michael j fox plays it just just perfectly and there are scenes like that all through the movie yeah. so incredibly well directed uh really does a mostly a very good job of handling a lot of really heavy lifting uh has that the the uh the, the date rape scene that is just a huge misstep and kind of sticks out like a sore thumb uh-huh. when you watch it now and you but other than that really great directing great performances very well written and one of my favorite movies of its kind so i definitely definitely enjoyed it oh, now you may speak is it, is it my turn now you may speak <laughs> All right, so um, this movie looms large in my past. I was 16, so this was a date movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Back to the Future is an entertaining film. It really is. It's one of those films that seems effortless in its ability to tell a story and entertain people. And while we've made light of a couple of little problems now in regards to the Biff character. Back then, it was not nearly as problematic to the widespread people in, you know, that was just like one of the tropes that would happen in movies. We had a bad guy who was a little rapey and, you know, you got over it. Now, that's a real bad problem. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm, I'm I'm a little concerned that that is going to prevent this film from becoming like other films, like The Wizard of Oz. You know, The Wizard of Oz doesn't have any major things in it that really kind of hit you over the head and say, this is our attitudes for this time and place. But this movie does. There was no reason why it couldn't have been Biff was just a jerk, right? He's a bit of a bully, and he could have just grabbed Lorraine's arm and said, you know, you're going to the dance with me, not I'm going to rape you in this car in front of the dance. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um... But that aside, I agree with pretty much everything you say. The movie is well made. It it, it goes along and it tells exactly the story that it wants to tell. Um, I'm not that concerned about the backstory between Marty and Doc because we don't need it because it's carried by the performances of the two actors. Everyone in the movie is very good, right? There are little hints of things that could have been a little bit deeper. For example, there's a scene with Marty and George in the cafeteria when Marty sees himself and his father. Right. Yeah, that's actually a very touching scene because we really don't get much of a relationship between his parents and him prior to the time travel. Right. He's at a table with them. But that scene is not to benefit the Marty character. That scene is there to benefit the audience so that we get an idea of who these two characters are so that when we see them transform, we're like, ah, but that's not really a scene to establish a relationship between Marty and his parents prior to the time travel. Right. Right. Which is done for a reason, because the other thing that we mentioned is that when he comes back after the time travel and they've changed, he doesn't seem to have much of a problem with it. If he had we had if he had established relationships with his mother and father, like an interaction between the two of them, which showed them to be caring, wonderful people. And he had a, had a relationship with him where he actually cared about them. When he comes back, that that becomes a real problem when they're completely different people at the end. <laughs> because he's it, it totally changed their characters and their personalities. So that lands a little more softly at the end. 
but it deprives the audience of a more emotionally satisfying um, arc for Marty. What is what is what is Marty's arc in this, Steve? Uh, he, he wants to get back to the future and make sure that his parents get together so he doesn't cease to exist. But what about him changes? Ah, uh, nothing. Yeah. See, the the hint of the arc is I get to know my parents better, right? Yeah. Gets yeah. to find out oh, his mom is actually not the, the, the prim and proper, you know, good girl that she made herself out to be. That his father, while, yes, very nerdy and also very bullied, was also very creative and suffers from the same kind of insecurities that he suffers from, right? Right, right. Um, which is all invalidated when he travels back in time and his family is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and fucking boring. Okay. So while I like the film and I think it's a great summer popcorn movie, there's nothing other than that in this. Okay. It's not going to satisfy on another level if you're looking for characters to develop. Does Doc Brown have um, a character arc in this? <laughs> not really. No. I, he gets over his, his fear of polluting the timeline. I guess. I guess. <laughs> And, you know, the other characters aren't, don't really, they can't have arcs because they are things that change, okay? So, if you just want to watch it as a popcorn movie, that's great, because that's what it is, it's perfect, okay? You can watch it, it's fun, it's all of that stuff. But, when you sit down and you go, who are these characters and what's great about them? All of their, um, and I'm talking about aside from Marty and Doc, nothing they like or desire matters because the timeline is changed and they become different people at the end. His brother and sister don't matter. Biff doesn't matter. His parents doesn't matter because the time travel changed them all into different people. And that was never part of their established arc. I mean, you could kind of say that maybe his presence there gave George the confidence to pursue a different path. And that led to him punching Biff, and then he became a different right. person because they, they, they made a point to stick people in front of the enchantment under the sea dance and go, is that George McFly? I guess he is. Wow, I never realized his dick was so big. I know, huh? <laughs> How about his mom, Steve? Does his mom have anything other than to be the funny incest joke? Not Willie. Not Willie. Not Willie. Does she even work in the new future? <laughs> <laughs> other than being George's trophy, and other than being, yeah. other than being Marty's mommy, does she have any dreams, aspirations, hopes, other than to suck her own son's cock? Yeah, granted, she doesn't know that. But right. other than can't that, can't blame her for that. But yeah. No, no, not really. No, she's and, she's a prop. She's a prop in Marty's story. Yeah, she she's yeah. um, <laughs> thankfully she's not as much of a prop as Jennifer is. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so, um, you know, if you're looking for this, this satisfies on a very base level, right? It tells a very simple yeah. story. Gives you satisfying conclusions to that story. Nice kid gets what he wants at the end. If you, But if you think about it past that point, things start popping up that become very disturbing as far as the movie is concerned, right? He literally yeah. does not know these people. No one seemed to have any needs or desires, and they're all nullified by him traveling through time. So 
What is going on, Steve? <laughs> I I think they're rushing to another fire. There better be a fucking Martian war machine on the outskirts of town. <laughs> they're rushing to another fire. So that's what Orson Welles is going on about <laughs> on the radio. I turned that shit down. That was distracting me. Um, and I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I like the movie a great deal. I really, really do. Um, and I really like the characters in the film. And I really, and I think the premise was was unique, especially w- when it came out. I th- actually, I can't think of another movie that's quite like this uh, up until this point. Most time travel movies are pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. This one got into paradoxes and and all that other stuff. Um, and it's fun, but just so long as you don't contemplate. The yeah. Movie. Don't contemplate the movie too much. And you know what? This falls into a lot of 80s movies. Don't don't contemplate any of the Indiana Jones films. Just don't do it. <laughs> don't. <laughs> because they'll start to make you angry. <laughs> Jesus. That's true. That's true. Especially Doom. Um, and this kind of falls into that character. I, category. Do, do I think it deserves to be a classic? Yes. Do I think it's going to stay that way? I don't know. Because what happens in the fullness of time is that movies that have problematic things in it that the society has moved on from tend to disappear. And one of the major plot points in this movie centers around sexual assault. And that scene is upsetting. It's a, it's a yeah. complete change in tone. And it's going to be one of those things where as we progress forward and we no longer tolerate looking at that kind of assault as, oh, he just gets over it. It's okay. It's something that happens. Boys, you know, they do that. I always use this litmus test for a scene. If George hadn't shown up, what would have happened? Right. And the answer to that question is gross. Yeah. Okay? What, what, you know, if Marty hadn't gotten out of the way of the car, what would have happened? He would have gotten run over in broad daylight in front of 30 witnesses <laughs> <laughs> because they drive through the park in front of City Hall to try to get to him. Yeah. So when I, now in, in the course of a movie where you're just having fun, that's perfectly fine. That's what I mean. Don't contemplate it too much because if you do and you start asking yourself those questions, things get really gross. It's kind of like the joke we made about Lorraine being in the dark with a boy in a room in which right. she is painted at like she wants to have with the horny. Right? <laughs> it raises questions. <laughs> it does. It definitely does. And while you're writing it, it's just kind of, oh, this is a joke. <laughs> Don't think about it too much, guys. Don't think about it. Oh, no, 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 no. Here's another joke. Here's another funny thing. Isn't it funny how on TV, how they watch TV when they're eating? <laughs> See, it's funny. Don't think about George up in that tree. Don't think about George up in that tree. So, yes, I think it's a classic. You think it's a classic, Steve? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. But I agree with you. It's definitely, it's a popcorn movie. It's not something that, it doesn't hold up under close observation, but that's not really what it's intended yeah. for. It's I think it's, it's a fun comedy you know, adventure movie that definitely has some de- problems Depending when you on look where under the our hood. society goes, really depends on the fate of the film. Okay. I agree with that. As our society develops, Gone with the Wind keeps dropping further and further in the ranks of being a classic film. And that's because when people watch it now, who have heard about it, but never seen it, they go, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah. This is a racist piece of shit movie. And it drops further and further down in its rankings. People may come across this and they go, oh, it is fun. Until that scene. Yeah. Yeah. And and for people who maybe 
you know, aren't quite, don't quite follow you on that. I yeah. mean, just, you, you use the example of the Wizard of Oz and how, you know, because of the sexual assault scene in Back to the Future, that might keep it from attaining like a Wizard of Oz type level yeah. as like, as like a universally beloved classic. Yeah. Just, just, and to, to put that in perspective, imagine if the Wizard of Oz had had, for instance, a character in blackface. Yeah. You know, that would really seriously taint that movie. Mm -hmm. And you might still appreciate it. It might still be a popular, beloved movie, but it might not be the movie that everybody watches on Thanksgiving yeah, every it year. Wouldn't become, or, it wouldn't yeah. last forever because as the society changes, those things tend to drop away. There yeah. are a lot of racially offensive Warner Brothers cartoons that no one is, will ever see because yeah. we moved away from them. And um, they still exist, but they're not part of the they're not part of the canon. They're not popular, and Warner Brothers refuses to release them at this point. Yeah, um, and that can happen with films as well. And the difference is is that if this had been a drama and that scene was in there, that wouldn't be a problem. But since no. this is a sci-fi comedy that is supposed to be fun for the whole family, when you get to that scene, yes, you can turn to your five year old and go, "Oh no, he's just trying to kiss her." <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, he's trying really hard. Yeah. Why is she saying, yeah. help help me, George, help me, <laughs> Daddy? Why is, why is that? It's just kissing. <laughs> Go to your room. <laughs> Shut off the movie. Shut off the movie. Movie time is over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it's... Yeah, I think that's it. it, it a, a scene like that in a serious movie is a much different thing when you're watching what is essentially a frivolous movie, a very light sort yeah. of adventure movie. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, Hey, they used rape as a plot device. Everything Great. else is broad and cartoony. They could have made Biff just as broad and cartoony. He still could have been a bully. He still could have been, you know, he should have been more along the lines of Bluto and less along the lines of a date rapist. You know, where yeah. he's like, you're coming to the dance with me, grabs her wrist and starts taking her into the dance. He's like, I don't want to go with you. That should have been the level of his evil. Yeah. But instead, he is now, as far as I'm concerned, irredeemable. And it's out of the question that these two people would allow this man back yeah. in their lives. Yeah, even if he were in a subservient role, it's and, just not, yeah. it's not at all realistic. Uh-huh. And remember it fondly. Oh, yeah. well, honey, if it wasn't for that rape gang, we never would have met. Fuck you, movie. Stop it. <laughs> Bad movie. <laughs> so, um, but I'm still going to say it. it's, it's, it's a fun movie. It's a great movie. It is a classic. Yes. And you agree? Definitely. I absolutely agree. Yes. It, it, a classic with, with the reservations that we have been discussing. But yes, yeah. it, it, when, when it succeeds, it succeeds spectacularly. And now's the time where we recommend you not to see a movie <laughs> since we made a recommendation for one we're now going to provide with to you two movies that we ask you to please not waste your time on right steve <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> so steve what movie would you like to veer the audience away from well, it would be tempting to recommend uh, one of the sequels to this movie, but I'm not going to do that. I, I think that they have been shat upon enough, mm. uh, and I think they're actually not as bad as their reputations suggest. They're not certainly great, and no. neither one of them is as good as, as the original, no. but they're not like as awful as... Mm -hmm. uh, 
as people might might think. Right. Um, so, but I'm going to recommend another movie that is a sequel mm-hmm. uh, to a 1980s time travel comedy that failed to live up to its original. Okay. Um, one one of the time travel because after this movie hit big, there were a, you know there were time travel movies in the 80s before this one too, like Time Bandits and um, and other time travel movies that came out in the 80s. They had nothing to do with Back to the Future, but after yeah. Back to the Future was a big hit, there were a couple of other movies that came out in the ensuing years that had similar themes or that seemed to be inspired. I mean, hell, even even uh, Star Trek did a, a time travel movie the very next year, yep. Star Trek Four. Um, and so I'm with going a lot to, less rape in it. A lot, so much less rape, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're looking for a time travel movie that's totally rape-free, Star Trek IV, <laughs> Star Trek IV. Um, but no, so one of the movies was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, yeah. which 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 starred Keanu Reeves and was kind of Keanu Reeves' big like mainstream breakthrough. Um, and then a few years later, they made a sequel called Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which Boy, is the movie that's I'm the recommending. Most, um, well-named movie ever. Yes, that is the movie I'm recommending that people do not need to go see. Um, I don't think it's the worst movie ever. I think it would have been better if it had been titled under its original working title, which was Bill and Ted Go to Hell. But (laughs) they changed it to Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Um, It's not nearly as fresh and as inventive as the original Bill and Ted was. And the original Bill and Ted felt kind of derivative, too, for obvious reasons, because mm-hmm. it was it was very Back to the Future-like. But it was fun and enjoyable and had kind of a goofy sort of personality that I always liked. Um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is a little darker and a little less clever and less inventive and just leaves much less of an impression Great to me than, than the original. Yeah, yeah. It, there's some good things to it. And, you know, yeah, I mean, the... Uh, the character of death might remind some people of uh, Brain Guy from Mystery Science Theater. Just a little it's bit, very, but he predates it's a very similar. That, so. Yeah, he does. He predates that by about ten or by about seven or eight years. But um, but yeah, it's a similar sort of makeup and similar character design. But um, and played by a great actor too, William Sadler. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that that is my recommendation to not go see. It's an interesting movie in its own way. It has a really interesting cast. There's some really great actors in it. Aside from Keanu and Alex Winters and Sadler, there's also George Carlin in there and Pam Greer pops up in there. Um, but it's not anything you need to go out of your way to see. It is it is an underwhelming sequel to a fun original, which is what you could also say about the sequels to Back to the Future. Uh, so. <laughs> So that's my non-recommendation, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Okay, my turn. Hey, guys, I like picking a movie from the same year and um, that we just reviewed. So it's 1985, and boy, oh, boy, there was a lot of stupid fucking science movies out. <laughs> Everyone wanted to do a sci-fi comedy because, I guess, because of Ghostbusters. Yeah. And because of, um, well, this one actually has more to blame for it, Weird Science. The uh, the movie in which two nerds make a girl to fuck, and uh, every and it made a lot of money. <laughs> no, nothing wrong with that premise. And uh, so lots of Ugh. people were like, "Hey, we want to make our goofy teen science comedy." And um, both of these, well, two movies came out this year that fall in line. The first one is Real Genius, and I had to decide between Real Genius and the movie that I decided on. I decided on this one because no one really remembers this movie all that much because it's a fucking steaming pile of shit and no one should go see it. Oh, boy. 
The movie that I've chosen is a little stupid fucking movie called My Science Project. Oh, wow. Do you recognize that film, Steve? I barely remember that. Yeah, yeah. there's a reason. My yeah. Science Project is stupid. It's time-related. <laughs> this, this teenager doesn't have a science project, so he breaks into an abandoned military base and steals experimental equipment, hooks it up, and um, it like draws in things from other times, like dinosaurs? <laughs> yeah, why not? And stuff... And it goes crazy, and they gotta shut it down, and it stars nobody and Dennis Hopper. <laughs> Boy, and there were so many Dennis Hopper movies that you could say that about. Yeah. It's kind and, of a shame. And he plays a hippie in this one. <laughs> so he's really stretching his acting muscles. It doesn't have anybody of note. Nothing happens. None of the special effects are good. It's got a dinosaur that I can't even remember what it looks like. It's so stupid. The whole movie is stupid, Steve. <laughs> So if you're like, I want to watch cheesy 80s movies, don't waste your time because it's boring and it's gross and I hate it. I'd wow. rather you watch Real Genius because that at least has Val Kilmer in it. Right? Hey, yeah. Yeah. That's see, right. It's an early early movie for him. Early Val. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, that's it. My That's my anti-recommendation. Don't go see My Science Project or Bill and Ted's bogus movie. Or bogus, <laughs> bogus journey, whatever it's called. Either way. Okay, Steve, you know what? This is turning into one of the longest reviews we've ever done. <laughs> yeah, I know. We just can't shut the hell up about Back to the Future. Well, that's because Bob Zemeckis keeps going on these fucking rage tirades. Well, that's because you keep pissing him off. Well, I can't help it. He's got flaws. Oh, Deep. God damn it! <laughs> I'm so, going to try uh, to keep him under control. That's okay. Thank you. Um, so, Steve, um, uh -huh, uh -huh. what movie are we going to do next? December's coming up. Yeah, and you know what else is coming up in December? Yeah, um, that, it's that time of year that all families love. Another Star Wars movie is coming out. Exactly. It's becoming our national tradition. Yeah. Fuck Thanks Christmas. to Disney. <laughs> Thanks to the good people at Disney. Who took Star Wars off of George Lucas's hands and, and said, we're going to revitalize the shit out yeah, of this franchise. we're going to make that Bantha poodoo out of poodoo, Star Wars poodoo, every goddamn That's December right. until we don't want to watch Star Wars ever again. We are going to ruin this for all of you. You're going <laughs> to think this is great for the first few years, but just you wait. That's right. It's going to make you start not wanting to see a Star Wars movie. <laughs> Remember when they only came out once every three years? Mm -hmm. And then there weren't any for like twenty. But <laughs> that um, was nice. <laughs> Star Wars Episode Eight: The yes. Last Jedi is coming out in December, so we're gonna review a Star Wars movie like we always do, right, Steve? Absolutely, and because this movie coming up is part of the main franchise, it is an episode, uh, not a spinoff like uh, last year with Rogue One, we're yeah. going to review uh, another film from the original Star Wars trilogy, like well, we did two years ago. technically they're not going to ever disappoint us, because we, we reviewed a prequel because Rogue One was a prequel, that's and true. the next one that's coming out next year, I think, is another prequel, right. and we're going to so, review on, uh, Oh, God. I just depressed well, that's, myself, Steve. That's, that's next year, man. We'll uh, worry about that next year. That's, that's great. Year. So I have that I have that looking at me at the other end of you the have, tunnel. You have that to look forward to all year. <laughs> um, no, so so next next episode, 
because of the release of the newest uh, episode in the mainline Star Wars saga, we will be reviewing the second movie ever made in the Star Wars franchise, which is a little movie that I like to call, because that's what it's titled, The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, we're actually going to review the movie that has won, hands down, by all fans, their favorite movie out of all of the other movies. We're going to review that movie. We're going to review it with, in our own inimitable fashion, <laughs> the most respected and beloved movie in all of the Star Wars franchises. <laughs> okay, we gonna smoke That's crack correct. beforehand? I mean, we, this sh- is... we probably should. Yeah. So, if you guys want to find out how we feel about the Empire Strikes Back, welcome to the podcast. Why don't you go back and listen to some of our older ones, just so you guys can figure out how we feel about Empire Strikes Back, yeah, right, guys? Yeah. So you, so you won't be taken by surprise, you know. People who've been listening to the podcast for a while, take them in hand and explain to them that we're fucking nerds. Okay? Yeah. Just, it's gonna be okay. We're gonna get through this together. We're gonna be fine. Oh boy, I can't wait. Empire Strikes yeah. Back. We're gonna have our be doo be doo and choo chewy bop bop and and the gold guy Seepy and, and and ham salad and ham salad and, and Luke Star Kicker and yogurt and God knows what else all of them all of the whole, the whole bunch swamp foo and snow foo and cloud foo yeah and yeah exactly Ori Mankanami my dicky <laughs> I'm okay. sorry not Lando it's space shaft. Space then, Chef. <laughs> well, just, well, well, well. Who have we here? Him Space Shaft. Oh, Leia, this is my old friend Space Shaft. <laughs> We're broken up now, so I'll just leave. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I know, and I'm not wanted. Goodbye. Harrison, that's not what the script says. <laughs> no matter. I'm walking right off this platform. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm writing this character out. <laughs> Retcon that, George. <laughs> yeah. He's not even here. <laughs> That's why this one's good. All right, Empire Strikes yeah. Back. Oh boy! Yeah. So buddy. if you want to get all the jokes, and you were just freshly made, and you've, <laughs> you've never, never seen, seen it before, before <laughs> then please go watch Empire Strikes Back. Okay. And that's it, Steve. Yes, we're done. At long last. Whew, wow. So, for uh, Late Seating, this has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this is Steve Shives, and remember, like I always say, if you put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Yeah, that's right. Like, you can make a movie with date rape in it and become beloved. Right, Robert? (laughs) Okay, look, it was just a, it was a trope. I didn't invent it. You enjoyed it. Why don't you admit it? It's just a... All right, maybe I did a little, but you shut your mouth. Have you ever made a movie with a strong female character that wasn't either a trophy or a mother figure? It was another time. Let me me point it out. Beowulf. Oh, God. Name one one proactive character in it. Uh, Female character. uh, Grendel's mother. (laughs) Grendel's mother was there. (laughs) Yeah, uh uh-huh. What do they do with Grendel's mother? First you You sleep with her. You know what? I don't need to play by your rules. You do? <laughs> I'm Robert fucking Zemeckis. Okay? I'm oh. sorry. Who directed Back to the Future? Who was it? Remind me of that. Was it Was it you? I think it's Spielberg, right? Everyone no. says that Spielberg directed you. it. Oh, you mother. Popular culture, everyone thinks it's Steven Spielberg. You know what? <laughs> oh, Just boy, like me. he directed Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Everyone thinks me he directed and... that, too. 
Me and Joe Dante need to have a word with you because he has the exact same problem. With Gremlins? Yeah. Yeah, Steven Spielberg directed that. that. (laughs) He directed that. He directed Poltergeist. (laughs) I think he directed everything in the 80s, Robert. Yeah, he directed everything. (laughs) That's right. Spielberg directed everything. And you directed what, 1941? Oh, yeah, sure. Give me that one. Sure, give me that one. I directed 1941. Okay. Let me have that one. Let me have that one. Let me have that one. Okay. No problem. Uh, sure, sure. You know, uh, uh, well, hey, can Spielberg have directed Back to the Future 2, too? No. You directed that one. Ah, <laughs> shit, you motherfucker. <laughs> Good enough. Goodbye, everybody. Get out of here. Bye, everybody. <laughs>